What's happening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Repump. I'm your host, Keith Berkelhammer. So, on today's live stream, I welcome back Jake Adams from Reef Builders. What's up, Jake? What's going on, Keith, man? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, oh, always a pleasure, dude. Always a pleasure. And, and folks, I apologize for the delay in the stream. I was telling Jake, but the only other time that, that we had a, a delay on this uh, Rapping with Reef Bum live stream was when we had uh, Ben Johnson, Tulio, and Rich Ross on, and, and we couldn't connect with Ben via Skype because he was driving in his car. So, um, but this was on me in terms of the, uh, the technical difficulties. I don't know what the hell happened, but I had to uh, do a little uh, reboot on the iMac. I see there's a whole ton of folks um, that are tuning into this live stream, and I really appreciate the patience, everybody out there so just a quick intro for those of you that don't know jake and i'm sure there's not many that do not know jake he is the managing editor of reef builders and is also the co-host of reef the reef therapy podcast uh with his co-host um, mark vanderwall will actually be uh, jake guest on this uh live stream in a couple of weeks i'm definitely pretty psyched to uh, to have mark on um if you haven't already um please check out reef therapy some very deep deep reef keeping conversations very topical uh it really should be required listening and viewing for all reef keepers out there <clears throat> so all right besides creating content jake really has uh, done a lot for the hobby he shared his knowledge and passion um, by speaking at many reef clubs and and marine aquarium events and conferences he's also written a whole ton of articles for aquarium publications across the world his primary interest is in corals, which Jake pursues in the aquarium hobby, as well as diving the coral reefs of the world. So before we dive in with Jake, sorry for that pun, I want to thank the sponsors for this show, Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine. Really appreciate them um, supporting this uh, live stream. And I really appreciate you folks that have been tuning in to watch. And please don't forget, we almost have 100 um, viewers tuned in right now. Please don't forget to hit that like button. We've only got 43 likes. The more likes we get, the more folks will uh, find this uh, live stream. So, dude, uh, how's it going, man? How you been? I'm pretty good. You know, normally the beginning of summertime, the onset of summertime, is the time when things generally slow down for the aquarium hobby. Yeah. And this is when I generally like fire on half cylinders as far as like content production for the videos, the podcasts, and the articles to do a little bit more traveling. But man, I got a stack of new products from around the world that I can tell you, you know, there's been some some really fun and exciting years of reviewing products. This is going to be a banner year hmm. of reviewing aquarium products. I'm almost thinking this year, you know, since about 2009, 2010, we've done an annual, uh, you know, top 10 new aquarium products, mostly for saltwater. And this year I might have to push it to 15 because I already have so much fire on my review bench that hmm. I just might have to make room might just have to make room what do you think that's the case you know it's is it um there definitely was a bottleneck mm. with covid gotcha where a lot of things didn't get released um i feel like that gave some of the manufacturers and some newcomers um, more time to refine their products without 
the pressure of, uh, you know, the consumer cycle um, on an annual basis as far as like wholesale orders being put in and the Christmas shopping at the consumer level. So I think there's a little bit of that. Um, but also, you know, the reef aquarium hobby has just grown and matured to such a size that it um, the rewards are potentially much larger or are actually you know, more solid for someone to to experiment at doing something new and interesting. So, all right, you you you, you talked about COVID and, and kind of like that bottleneck in terms of products that uh, are coming to market now. What um what what is your read in terms of the supply chain issues? My understanding is that these are still uh, very very um, real, and um, you know there's certain manufacturers that have products out there that they can't. Um, keep up demand on because they just don't have certain parts. I guess computer chips are, are in short supply for certain things. But uh, what's your read on that, Jake, in terms of um, are we kind of seeing some light just at the end of that tunnel? To be clear, you know, I think the last time I was on here, I made the case that everybody's tide rising, you know, every shop doing well was actually not a great thing because it wasn't enough, you know, natural selection of, of products and stores and services. And in this case, um, for sure, there's definitely some logistical hurdles across all industries for everything from raw materials to finished goods. But you also, <laughs> you also have a whole subset of companies who are blaming everything on COVID, right? Mm. You remember when the recession came around and it was just like five, six years later, certain companies are going bankrupt or whatever. And they're like, oh, the recession took me under. I'm mm. like... Dude, it's 2015. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so you're you're hearing some people really lean on that, and you see other people not complaining at all. I, you know, one company that hasn't complained instead of coming up with excuses, they've come up with solutions. Is you know companies that are releasing new LED lights with wireless capabilities. Like I know personally of their struggles and challenges, and I know all the stuff they're doing behind the scenes to get the product out the door. You know, so it's not easier. Right. It's not easier by any means. But, um, you know, for for one, definitely we have uh, a lot of catching up to do on the product side of things, you know, uh, because a lot of things were delayed. And on the flip side, for sure, the hobby is going to experience a shrinkage. Right. So many people got covid pets and covid hobbies yeah. and covid aquariums. Yep. Um, it's it's normal you know, to peruse your local Facebook group and see a steady stream of uh, people getting out of hobbies or whatever they are, um, including the aquarium hobby. That's just a natural part of the cycle. You know, you put a good five years into any hobby, um, no one can fault you for trying. And, you know, maybe you grew a tank out full of acros and got your tortuosas like you have hitting the surface. And you're like, all right, check that box. I did it. But I think uh, right now we're seeing a little bit of more shrinkage um, with the with the summer coming on, right? The the COVID is for the Americans is you know almost a few months in the rear view. Plus now we have summertime, so it's going to be a, definitely a slow month. But I think everything will con, you know start to approximate getting back on track in September. Yeah, you know I um, I can definitely um, um, relate to what you're saying in terms of things starting to kind of slow down in terms of my business and, and, uh, you know, that kind of demand, it, it definitely seems to have slowed. It seems like though has slowed a little earlier than, than normal, but of course, um, a couple of years ago it was like going gangbusters around this time of the year and, um, summer 2020 and 2021, it didn't slow down at all. Right. Right. <laughs> so now it's, it's going to be, I, 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 you know, I hear you in terms of what you're saying. I think 
we are going to lose people from the hobby. I think there was a lot of people that also had a lot more time, you know, that had mm -hmm. been longtime reef keepers that were spending a lot of money because we're getting some of those, um, you know, checks from the government and, and people had a little extra cash. But, you know, now we've got some other economic things going on. We've got inflation, right? We've got, um, you know, the cost of fuel, which is impacting the, uh, the hobby in, in certain ways. We've got... Um, stock market correction. So there's going to be, you know, less money, I think, disposable income wise out there for folks to spend. Thankfully, I think we hit peak coral prices for the time being, you know, probably earlier this year, you know, a couple months in, especially with, um, you know, several of the big reef shows having already happened, uh, Reef Palooza, Reef Stock and, and others, people have already spent their money. And, you know, but like you're starting to see some of the coral prices go down. Um, across the board, because it it was it was getting a little up there, right? The suppliers were doing everything that they could to cash in on in. So, you know, the 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 more the pendulum swings in one way, the more <laughs> the harder it swings back the other way. And so, I'm I'm ready to get back onto a normal kind of natural tempo and and rhythm with reefing and business and the year. I hear you, man. I hear you. Um, so Greg Carroll is uh, commenting: cost of shipping is hurting the world economy. You know, I wanted to talk about shipping, Jake. I'm not sure if we talked about this the last time, but, uh, you know, you mentioned that you, you think coral prices are coming down. What um, what what I uh, wanted to talk about and ask you about is, you know, the cost of shipping, right, with the fuel prices being so, so high right now. And for coral vendors, right, to ship corals across the country or, or just overnight to wherever, those prices are just skyrocketing right now. And, um, you know, it's... There's a lot of competition out there, right? There's a lot of different coral vendors, and if you see a lot of sales, you're talking about prices going down, and and um, you know you got to have some sort of deal to kind of stand out from the competition. But you know, with the fuel prices being what they are and the cost of shipping, the margins for the uh, coral vendors are going to be going down, right? So uh, you know, at what point in time will we potentially see you know that impacting the coral vendors and and them having actually to reverse trend and maybe raise prices again? I think my uh, broad reply to that is that when everything stays the same, uh, every innovation totally stagnates, right? It's, it's through these challenges that we come up with creative solutions mm. as far as like corals are getting too expensive. All right, let's cut them up and boom, we, you know, we kind of birth fragging even though that was a natural process but over a long period of time that was one of the solutions to not enough coral individual colonies for everyone you know um you know back in the day we talked a lot about shipping acropores wet yeah not in water that's crazy man i can't believe you that. know and that was a thing and zoanthids don't really need to be in water they probably do better over a period of two or three days um so i think you know just like all other businesses and economic uh, squeezes, we're just going to see some creative solutions. You know, um, I think they'll, you know, people might figure out how to ship corals over two days, where you know the coral's fine for two days as long as it's not sitting there in the freezing or the cold. Yeah. Right. That's one of them. Are uh, shipping corals with less water. Um, but I think this is, you know, also a time for the brick and mortar retail stores to, to, to you know, just. Feel, you know, feel out the temperature of the national coral markets in whatever countries they're in and be like, 
you know, step up into their Facebook groups. They're like, hey, you know, shipping getting a little expensive. Come on in. You know, no shipping. <laughs> Come see what we got. Yeah, for sure. I tell every store locally that they should be shopping at every other store because you just, you know, something you're selling for $70, you know, and Todd down the street might be selling for $20. He's not even moving it at $20. You go buy his stuff and then, you know, all of a sudden you make even a bigger margin at $50. So yeah, no. when things, everything stays the same and it's really cushy and comfortable, um, there's just no pressure to innovate. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of was born into this industry and hobby with uh, the closure of uh, Caribbean Live Rock and for 30, 25 years, people are saying, you know, the hobby's going to get shut down, hobby's going to die. And I'm just like, it's literally the opposite. This is one of the fastest growing segments of the, you know, overall pet industry. Uh, and it's just, if it, you know, if something cools it off a little bit, so be it. Yeah. Matthew Gilger, thank you so much, man, for the uh, for the super chat. Beer money, love the stream and reef therapy. Jake, thanks for keeping me grounded with the hobby. Keith, thanks for the chunky SPS corals. Cool. Thank you, Matthew. Um, so a couple of other uh, comments. Andrew Dust, when a fuel company becomes the most valuable company in the world and Apple is number two, we're starting a new era of shipping or local sharing. Interesting. So, all right, man. Um, front and center. You mentioned uh, you mentioned that um, you're, you got a whole bunch of new products on the docket there for review, and and you uh, yesterday you put out a video on the new uh, Radeon G sixes, and you actually did a comparison physically to the uh, to the G fives. Now I don't want to like steal any of your thunder because I think you intended to uh, to kind of cover a lot more on that video than you did, and uh, I believe you left it for a a second follow up video, but. Um, yeah, talk to us about your impressions uh, so far. I mean, my my takeaway, you know, from um, from that video is that, um, and it was a very comprehensive video, is that they look very similar, right? The G6s and the G5s look very similar in terms of how they're constructed and they're built. You did kind of get into some of the nuances in terms of some of those differences, but you also talked about, you know, how the G6s have twice as many violets versus the G5s. And uh, another thing you mentioned is that the G6 have the warm whites. And you, you mentioned that you really like the warm whites. You're just like the aesthetics of having the warm whites. All right. Well, let me, I guess, uh, just kind of address that, that whole thing overall. Um, I want everybody to know that, like, I'm making the kind of video that I would want to see. Right. I am doing for you guys what I would want to see. And sometimes it gets a little bit in the weeds, but I watch a lot of other like history and tech and cooking channels that get into the weeds of stuff. I don't understand. I'm still entertained. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so I'm, I'm just presenting the video and like I literally said to Evan before we shot like, man, I, I really don't know how to approach this because from the G4 to the G5, there were so many things to point out. Right. So many little changes to point at. I even take for granted that the fan changed position from underneath to the top. Mm. Um, but in the G5, we have actually been so spoiled that, oh, guess what? As a reporter, you know, an aquarium journalist, I have to do a little bit of extra work and a little bit extra attention to details. I can't just say, oh, we moved the fans. We have 20 watts more power. We have 40 more LEDs. We have two more control channels. We have lunar LEDs. It's just like it was just too easy on the Gen 4. You know, um, some of the folks who follow a, uh, you know, iPhone progress throughout the years might be aware that um, uh, Apple has this thing called a TikTok cycle where um, 
talk cycle would be like a new uh, form factor with you know really obvious new features and then the next year you get a lot of refinements and that's the tick cycle um in recent years it's kind of like tick tick talks where they refine a couple things and just you know they they throw a lot of graphs at you and then every third year there's like you know something really truly different and so i think we're in some ways we are looking at a little kind of a tick cycle uh but for one thing if if ecotech held back more from the g5 to the g6 you know there's totally two camps or some people are like why didn't you give those features that you could have given us before but because we did get spoiled with the g5 and got like a whole bunch of new features then people are less impressed mm. with the g6 and i just want everybody to know like i have g4s all over the studio i have you know, older max spec lights, I have older acro optics lights, Kessels. When new versions come out, I don't suddenly look at my corals and be like, oh man, you look dumb. You <laughs> <laughs> don't have that feeling. Obviously, um, with certain other technologies, you might be like, oh man, my videos are going to come, you know, export so much quicker now. But like, I didn't get envy when the G5s came out and I have all these G4s everywhere. That doesn't change the color of my corals yeah. from one day to the next. Um, uh, did you have a specific question about the G6? I know we, we well, have my, more to uh, my, into it. Uh, yeah, um, my, my, uh, my quick question was why you like the, uh, the warm whites, which the G6s have versus the G5s. I have always loved the warm whites. Um, so, so for those who don't know, there is no such thing as a natively white LED, right? By and large, with few exceptions, all LEDs are blue LEDs that are coated with phosphors, and that high-energy blue light excites the phosphors and creates that broad-spectrum light. This means that there's always kind of a blue peak pushing through our white LEDs, whether you see it or not with your eyes, because we're very, very sensitive to the red and green spectrum as well. Um, and for years, forever, <laughs> actually, and to this day, manufacturers lean on cool white LEDs because those have the, the highest luminous efficiency. So if you take a cool white next to a neutral white, next to a warm white, you run them, you know, if they're the same generation, you run them at the same amperage, that cool white's always gonna have more lumens. And if you wanna pad your spec sheet, your, your horsepower of your car or your engine, you're always gonna go with the cool white. But because it's a blue LED that's kind of masquerading as a white LED, there's a hidden blue spike there. So when you use cool white with blue, royal blue, violet, UVs, however, it just it doesn't balance out. You can throw some red and some amber in there, but um, it was my expect who really kind of pioneered that that part uh, using whites and warm whites. And those warm white channels, they have the kind of spectrum that and wavelengths that don't really appear when you use discrete red and photo red and amber and those warm whites like you've been around the block and i'm sure some of the viewers not with leds uh, watching... dude okay no <laughs> yeah. that's fine but you've been around the block you've grown some pink stylos yeah. you've grown some pink pastelopores you've grown some pink yeah. bird's nest those are chromoproteins that are absolutely don't care what you're throwing at them except for warm fluorescent lighting Right. You know, so back in the day, my halides would be on, my T5s would be on, turn those lights off or those lights go off. And there's just like a weird, random, warm, compact fluorescent lamp in the corner of the room just for general illumination. And your pink stylo or bird's nest or pasta pora all of a sudden is glowing mm. almost in a fluorescent way. 
right? So that warm white is awesome for balancing out the blue as far as the entire spectrum. And it's also the only thing that brings out the pink chromoproteins of our bird's nest stylos and poslophorus. Those are uh, those are some corals that you don't see a lot in tanks today. I mean, older school reefers still, uh, you know, give the love to those uh, types of corals. And those those were the corals that I started out off with when I started with SPS, man. And I just I just loved having them in my in my tanks. You haven't earned your reefing stripes until you've grown out a bird's nest, a pink bird's nest. Yes, and. I talk, I talked to some reefers who've been around for a decade. They've never grown a pink bird's nest. I'm like, how did you even get in the hobby if it wasn't a pink bird's nest? I'm partial, you know, because it was like super sharp and a cool pattern on the branches and bright pink. And you, when you go diving, you, this, you see this everywhere and they don't get big. They always die Dude, out. Check, check out the, the photo behind us on the live stream. I think I've got um, two different types of pink bird's nests and some um, purple or pink uh, style of fours uh, on that uh, background shot. That is a uh, background shot from, I don't know, 15 years ago, one of my uh, tanks in Connecticut. I don't know if you're looking at us, looking at, looking at us on, on YouTube. but uh, I'm just looking at you. You're just looking I'm at just me, looking man. At you. Yeah, you can look at it later. <laughs> but uh, those those were my um, featured corals in my uh, in my tank back then, and um, I just love them. Uh, Mark Vanderwall, thank you, man, for that super chat. Cheers, guys. Thanks for the great content as always. Appreciate that, Mark. So you know, I have a cup a couple pet color channels when it comes to LED lights. Um, I like my royal blues a particular way, right? They can be labeled as royal blues, but if they're you know those that there's a range there and. Um, I love my 430 violets and anything that's getting close to that actinic spectrum. And the warm whites is just one of those first key things I look at to balance out the entire spectrum. So um, here's a comment that's interesting by Hillbilly Reefer. I like that screen name. Um, I believe the Gen 4 Pros are still the standard bearer in the reefing world today, not spending the dollars till something drastically better hits the market. What are your thoughts on that, Jake? This is an important one. Everybody is acting like somehow a G5 is comparable to a G4, a G6 is comparable to G4. It, it could not be any further from the truth. The progress of the efficiency and the technology means that today's G6 XR15 will run circles around your G4 Pro XR30. That's that's what everybody keeps saying. They're just like getting all uh, upset that they, you know, the the new light is whatever. You know, there was a price uh, increase a little while back, which I thought was very um, tempered considering the climate mm. that we you know, started out talking about. But people aren't acting like instead of getting, you know, two XR30s, now you could get three XR15s because they're so much more efficient. And if you're running two XR30 uh, Gen 4s at you know, not full brightness, well, then two XR15, G5 or G6 is going to run circles around that. And everybody is comparing model number to model number. But I am of the opinion now that with few exceptions, no one should be getting an XR30. Interesting. Right? You want, you want to talk about spread? You want to talk about coverage? You want to talk about overlap? Get the XR15. Hmm. You're not sure if you want to get the, the pro or the blue, uh, get one of each XR 15, <laughs> put them next to each other, right? If you have multiples of, if you have just two lights, all right, that might look a little goofy, right? But say you're going to put four lights across the tank four XR thirties, like 
get eight XR15s and do halves and halves, right? We used to mix color spectrum with metal halides, with VHOs, with T5s, and our compacts. Like, there's stopping from doing that. Chris, ACI Agriculture, Warm White is a must in my opinion. He also says that uh, he just purchased some Iwasaki 6500K metal halides to balance my blue. <laughs> the big smiley face there. So, yeah, tried and true metal halides, man. Can't beat that. Um, so, um, similar question as before, but probably uh, slightly different, I guess. This is a, a question that, that somebody emailed to me before the show, Jake, and uh, his name is Mike. Is the upgrade from the Gen 5 Blue to the Gen 6 Blue worth it? Bottom line. Yep. Did we lose Jake? Hello, hello. Oh, we lost you there for a second, Jake. Uh, hold on on a second. Yep. Standing by. Okay, okay. all right, we're back. We just had a blip. I didn't touch anything. (laughs) Okay, so what were were you saying? uh, You're kind of frozen there in terms of the picture, but um, we could hear you. Okay. Um, so the uh, the question was, it was an email question from um, a guy by the name of Mike. Is the upgrade from the Gen 5 Blue to the Gen 6 Blue worth it? Oh, yeah. That really, that, you know, this is going to be one of those things where I hate to have a cheaper question, but it really depends, right? Um, is it going to transform your world? No. If you have a small to medium-sized tank, you're probably getting the photons that you need for your corals, right? Um, the one thing that very few people were a fan of was the lime and the cyans, you know? And so for sure the G6 Blue has a better spectrum than it did before. But is it really going to transform, you know, your tank? I don't think so, honestly. If you're going from G5 to G6, I, I don't – it's not quite as compelling. I love the change in the, in the spectrum. But if you already have the light and it's only a couple of years, wait two more years right. for the upgrade. And there's a path there, – there is a path for an upgrade, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct, yeah. So, uh, Jake – do you uh do you see me because um I see a frozen image of you? Yeah, no, I see you. I see you just fine. I know I'm a, I'm pretty good uh internet connection, so I'm not sure what happened there. Yeah, I wonder if um I wonder if I should hang up on you and call you back or not even risk that. I mean, we've got a nice frozen shot of you with pondering. Oh, let me cycle cameras. Yeah. Okay. Hang on, folks. Good thing is we can hear you. Okay. Well, I'm going to switch to the FaceTime camera. Okay. And uh, you can see me? I still see the old shot of you. Let me um, let me try something. <laughs> yeah, we got you back. Okay, good. Yeah. There you go. All right. Man, the technical difficulties in this broadcast. What the hell? Jeez, <laughs> getting thrown everything but the kitchen sink at me here for tonight. Oh. Oh, no, sorry. Oh, oh, Jeez, man, you scared me again. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Um, you know, this again, for I would say the generational upgrade is really, if you have a two-year-old Gen 5, I can't make that argument for anybody, for any case, honestly. But if you're newer and you're looking at newer lights, you're gonna get more mileage out of the Gen 6 than the Gen 5 than the Gen 4. You know, but it, it's not a monumental change. Um, 
and like I said, the, the upgrade path is not going anywhere, right? So wait a year, wait two years. There's no reason you have to uh, rush out and get the latest and greatest. So Eric Mez is asking, I have two G5 Pros split across a 48-inch tank. Will a third XR15 greatly improve my setup? Two G5s? Two G5 Pros going across a 48-inch long tank. Will it... Are they XR30 or XR15? Will the XR15 greatly... Uh, they're... Um... Hmm. Yeah, don't know. No. I mean, if you have two XR30 Gen 5s, you on a four-foot tank, that tank is flooded with light, whether it's G5 or G6. You know what I mean? If you have two XR15s um, and maybe you're starting to get a lot of good growth and a lot of self-shading, um, then maybe at, look at adding another XR15. But by and large, you should have great mileage with two Gen 5s of either model. So, I, you know, like I said at the beginning, I don't want to give away, um, you know. No, no, go ahead, man. People need to hear it Okay. Twice. <laughs> you know, so obviously when you did that first video, you didn't have the uh, lights hanging over your, any, any tanks. But uh, apparently now you do. Um, and yeah. you need to do some testing, correct? You're going to just uh, run a par meter underneath them. Do you have a uh, spectrometer? Okay. No. No. And to be honest, like I know enough about par to know that this number is not our guiding light. Mm -hmm. It is not how we run yeah. our tanks, right? The only time I measure par is at the extremes. I only want to measure par in the brightest spot of my brightest tank, just to make sure I'm not, you know, like just have a weird hot spot, or when I'm really pushing how low the lighting can be on my chalices or my shrooms. Right. But I will, I will make some par measurements for you guys, but you know that a coral that's under 400 micromoles can look just as good as an, as one that's under 200 to 250 micromoles. Right. It's not the, and we need to shift the conversation away from absolute par mm -hmm. numbers to more lighting overlap. Right. It's not just about the spread for me. It's about how much of that light field uh, falls under one point coming from every direction, right? That's why corals that we love, branches, are three-dimensionals, right? They need that light coming from every direction. So absolute part numbers is not important. But one thing I will say about the G5 to the G6, and it's something that's not really well articulated, I think, in the Ecotech Marine documentation, is it's less about covering more of the tank. And it's more about giving users a flat field of lighting, Right. So if you rewind the clock to Gen 2, Gen 3, Gen 4 and older lights, it was always, oh, what's your peak par? You know, what is the highest number you, that you can get? And you know that that was the problem because people used narrow angle lenses and narrow, narrow angle reflectors. And it caused these hot spots where a coral would bleach in one spot of your aquarium. And then like two, three inches over, it looked like it was a little too dark. So that's not really just articulated um, in the marketing for the G6, but I think that's what they're aiming at. And that's something I can see. So I have a four foot tank, the tank that we featured in video not too long ago, I call the kitchen sink yep. reef tank that has just all kinds of different corals. So I have the Gen 5 and the Gen 6 next to each other. Um, it's really fun to, you know, when we had them on here on the bench, you could kind of see the differences in the blues and the royal blues and the whites um, as far as like the shade, not just the numbers. And so you can see that a little, if you're, if you're looking, you can see that side by side 
on the kitchen sink reef tank. That's four footer. And then I have the Radeon Gen 5 blue next to the Radeon Gen 6 blue um, over a coral flat, right? So on one tank, it's more of like a display uh, setting. And then the, on the other tank, it's definitely more of like a top-down working coral aquarium. Um, so, so yeah, I think we're, you know, I've been thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? I think we're gonna do one video on the gen six pro and then another one on the gen six blue cause they're totally different lights and they're being presented completely differently. Interesting. Um, here's a, here's a good question from Chris uh, Rojas. Is there something the gen six are not giving us that they should have at this point? Can you, uh, can you tell? Ooh, I don't know because I've been in their ear for, I keep looking at my old camera because <laughs> I have a you know, habit of looking at the camera. I got to look at this little, yeah, little this one's right good. Here. It's a, you're actually closer. Up. Uh, it's good. I have, I have good lighting in here. Um, I've been in their ear about what I've wanted for the last handful of years. So shifting the Royal blue to be more purple, um, including more warm whites, including more uh, violets. Those are those are definitely on my agenda. That was on my hit list. Um, what was the other one? The 395, you know, I was like, all right, well, that's a nice little touch. You know, we got a little UV. bit more UV. We didn't just get a little bit more of the UV, but they're brand new uh, generation of, of UV LEDs. Um, if you remember my uh, unboxings and teardowns of the Hydra 64s, that's where the you know Ecotech Marine as a company first introduced these these they look like little holographic stickers like there's no package no nothing it just looks like a tiny little holographic film and that's the entire UV LED um, so we're getting more of that but um, as far as things that we're missing I look at my tanks now and I'm like we're missing an XR7 XR7 yeah, we're missing, uh, and it's funny because I was literally asked by them, "What do you think about a passively cool XR?" You know, set, this is all hypothetical, the naming and all that stuff. And I was like, "Nah, that's kind of dumb. I don't know why anybody would want that." But I think that was before the G5 came out, and now that we're at the G6, I'm like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, I could totally be down for like a $250 passively cooled 50 watt version of the you know XR15." That's I think. Um, uh, what else we're missing to be honest man it's it's hard to frame it because if you look at the entire field of other reef aquarium led lights uh you know i think castle ai and ecotech they are driving the conversation you know well let, they uh, there are so many copycats that will copy their colors or their designs or just there are certain ways they do things so um I can't really think of anything I'm missing specifically on the Gen 6. Uh, let, let me ask you this question. And, and you mentioned this in your video that, uh, you know, you're sponsored by Ecotech. This live stream is sponsored, uh, co-sponsored by Ecotech. But uh, you've tested a lot of lights over the years, right? And you've had uh, a lot of experience with different uh, brands of lights and different types of lighting. If you were starting an SPS-dominant tank today, what would be your choice for lights? Oh. Not, not to put you on the spot or anything. <laughs> oh, unequivocally, yeah. it would be uh, 250-watt Iwasaki metal halides in a giant reflector. For there you go, lamp. dude. Yeah, metal halides, with roll start. <laughs> with pulse start. I mean, if no other um, consideration for power, heat, yeah. you know, size over the aquariums, controllability. We're talking about sheer 
sun replication, Iwasaki 65K, you know, uh, pulse start ballast with a giant reflector. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> with a ring of like blue and royal blue LEDs just magically built into the reflector to, you know, give it a little sp- a blue spice to it unequivocally. Yeah, that, that would be the one if there's like no holds barred for sure. But with cost of running them and acquiring the bulbs and the size and the heat, um, obviously that's not the first choice, but. Um, goodness. I mean, t- t- here's a couple, couple ideas, like a couple ideas come to mind, right? The, uh, GNC Blu-ray pro. First of all, let me, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be answering this question for about 15 <laughs> minutes. First of all, I get every light for free, right? Or I'm sponsored to yeah. review that light. So in my mind, they're all on Plank the same, field. you know, yeah. starting at the same yeah. platform on the same foundation, yeah. right? Everything just shows up here at the studio and I test it and I work it, right? So if you want to say, oh, whatever, he's sponsored, like, okay, but I'm also sponsored by all the <laughs> other companies. So what do you want? You know, it, to me, that makes it less biased. That's that's one thing. Uh, two, um, there's not enough conversation about mixing LED lights, right? I think the it wasn't too long ago I ran across a reef tank where some guy had AIs. And radions, mm-hmm. right? So you're using the radions to just, you know, have that sheer horsepower and punch. And then you have AIs or Kessel for more punch, deep and penetration inside the aquarium, yeah. right? So obviously the best of all worlds would be probably a combination of radions with hydras or radions with Kessel, right? Because you have complementary colors because Ecotech is probably using very similar LED colors in the hydras as they are in the radions. Um, if you want a ton of just overlap, like I discussed earlier, the, uh, GNC Blu-ray pro, um, from GNC Italia. It's a fantastic machine. It is everything that the sky was trying to, to do without cutting corners. Um, I think the Blu-ray pro is 488 LEDs running at a quarter Watts when just with zero optics, that thing is just, it's just, just a field of light without the diffuser, like, you know, they had to do on the sky, but that one has a really like terrible controller. Like you have to control, uh, connect to it via Wi-Fi every single time and use like a 15 year old web server. <laughs> you push a button and you have to wait, right? You have to push it as when you're increasing the intensity you change the program. Um, the acro optics that are made uh, locally in Boulder, that's the only light that's like, you know, engineered, designed, made and sold by an engineer. That light is so overbuilt. It just like it, it will outlast generation after generation, individual lens for every single LED, just a just a huge covering, but it's expensive and it's not practical. And the first generation were weighed like 64 pounds because they had a stainless steel uh, chassis to it, you know. And so, like, I just want everybody to know, like. One of my favorite tanks in the studio right now is my UNS aquarium that I set up right around uh, New Year's with a canister filter that was uncycled. I got a $50 Amazon light on Mm. it. It's got a giant fox coral, a giant elegance coral, and a disc coral on the bottom. And there are no fluorescent colors, but every time I look at that tank and think of just how dead simple it is and how nothing can actually go wrong on that tank, that one for me is just super rewarding. But... To be honest, you use reef leads, radions, hydras. It's it's how you use them, man. It's like we shouldn't have this conversation about like 
uh, F1 race cars. It's like, ooh, what race car is going to win the race? It's not that. It's the driver, right? It's how yeah. you drive it. It's how you use it. It's how you apply uh, it. Jesse, thank you very much for that super chat. So, um, and, and all those um, fixtures that you you mentioned, you didn't mention the uh, the GHL Mitras. And, um, you know, so those are the first LEDs I ever used in all of my uh, years of reef keeping. I'd always been using metal halides and T5s with uh, with a lot of great uh, success. But um, what what um, in, in terms of the Mitras, have you been able to um, you know test or use those lights? And if so, what are your impressions of the Mitras? I mean, my my own personal experience is that I've, I've I've had some incredible color and growth of those lights. You know, I've got six Mitras over my um, peninsula tank with six foot long by three foot wide. You know, twenty inches uh, deep. So it's um, and and what I'm using is a um, a spectrum that mimics uh, Telegram on Instagram and YouTube did me a solid and he um, he put together a, a spectrum for me that mimics a 400 watt 20k halide. It was I think a um, a combination of the Hamilton 400 water and a 250 watt um, radium bulb. But um, have have you had uh, any experience with the uh, with the Mitras? And 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 again, I think you're correct. It's the way you're using the lights. So one thing that you know we've really tried to do at Reef Builders is bridge the gap across different communities, right? The the American scene is very well connected, you know, north to south, east to west, coast to coast, right? We know people in New York know what people in LA are doing by and large. It's not the olden days where you have these different pockets of communities, although there was a time, you know, some of that was like that. And then you have different brands you know, popping up in like Taiwan and Australia. So Illumagic is huge out there. Um, it's one of the dominant lights in Australia, the Illumagic Blaze X, X4. You've seen one, Gabriel Gonzalez's tank in Mexico City. That thing rocks it with Illumagic LEDs that don't seem that bright on paper, but it's got the overlap and he grows the bejesus out yeah. of that grows. And then in Japan, you got some Vox Japan that makes some unique versions of uh, spotlights and fixtures. And then uh, Blue Harbor works with Ecolamps on their SP200. And that's also a super unique light. Um, and then in Germany, um, we have the the Stratton, the ATI Stratton, Stratton Pro, the Mitris, um, God, I'm sure there were there was a few more, but those are some of the ones that stand out. Man, everybody's gonna have a good time. It's hard to have a bad time. Now, yeah. if your if your fixture looks like a fixture you could buy ten years ago, but it's got you know a little bit of lipstick on the side or underneath, and people start talking to you about purr, that might not be a great light. You know, there's definitely uh, uh, people who want to hack and cheat the system by spending half as much and thinking they're getting twice the light. And I'm just like, man, that's just not going to last you two, three years, you know, at the three year marks, those channels you've been using this whole time. You know, if it's, it looks like a, like a lipstick on a pig, I'm telling you it's lipstick <laughs> on a pig back to the mattress though. Um, yeah, I have a mattress. I used it. I have a first generation mattress before they mm. had the four puck version. It was great. You know, I'm a little rusty on it. I remember them using kind of a common reflector, which gave it a different look. One thing that I'm not hot for the G5s and the G6 is it is getting really close to just eliminating shimmer, mm. right? The G4 still kind of had a little bit of that uh, point source uh, lighting characteristics, so it does give you some of that shimmer. But right now, I've got the G5 and the G6 right next to each other, and I'm like, 
I like some shadows, you know, I like the contrast on certain types of corals, right? So one thing that the Mitras has is there's no secondary lenses, if I recall right. correctly. It's only the, the primary optic on each LED with kind of a common reflector to help blend that out. That's a look. You know, that's a great look. I would love to uh, to taste what their spectrum looks like today. There's just only so much news you can cover. But, you know, GHL, they got some great chops. I would ask you, you know, the biggest uh, um, uh, kind of barrier for us Westerners and Americans, uh, we want a fancy app. We want a fancy, yeah. snappy yeah. app to control our lights and make it dance. And if I got to wait more than 10, 15 seconds, I don't even want to fire up the app, you know? So I know in days past, like I haven't used a Mitris since you had to hardwire to a windows machine, right? Yeah. I had a windows laptop specifically to connect to my lights. So does the Mitris have yeah. an app where no, they, you can, they do. you know, like actually yeah, play? Yeah, they do have an app. So there is an app and, um, you know, it's still very German aesthetic and, you know, no graphics and <laughs> nah, lots of text. I mean, I'm not an expert in terms of uh, aquarium equipment type of apps, but, um, you know, I think it, it does the job. And, and um, you know, this is my first uh, rodeo in terms of an app to control um, lighting. You know, it's it was so much easier to just plug in and uh, put the, uh, the halides and the T5s on a timer and like, all right, on this time, off this time, on this time, off this time. Whereas, you know, it was daunting for me in terms of getting into the app and just so many different choices in terms of light intensity and spectrum is like crazy. And I, I think, um, you know, perhaps this is a big mistake that people make is that uh, they're they like to tinker with the spectrum and, and tinker too often, I think, um, is, is not going to be good for your corals. Right. Uh, honestly, unless you're not smacking upside the head with a ton <laughs> of red or a ton of green or just, uh, a, you know, a crazy amount of ultraviolet, your corals will probably be good. And you're, t you know, I do tweak my lights quite oh, a bit. Why is that? Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause I want, cause this is <laughs> cause why you I can. do it. <laughs> this is why I do it. You know, I, I love, uh, for me, what's super enlightening is seeing the color differences in like the cool whites in the blues in the royal blues between the g5 and the g6 this the, the it's almost like little secrets right that you won't really notice what's crazy is that from what i can gather the royal blue um is a little deeper on the g6 but the blues are a tiny bit greener and i'm still gonna make a call to kind of verify some of my observations but the thing is over the aquarium it totally balances out right because they took a, a lot of the green out of uh the uh, Gen 6 blue, right? So these small things you will only notice if you're using one single color. At the end of the day, man, your coral's going to look off, all right? I can't tell you what's in my little Amazon light over my, uh, you know, like zero reef, my zero space aquascape, my complete negative space <laughs> aquascape with just corals sitting on the ground. I can't tell you what's in there. I can tell you the corals look good, and it's not That's too bright. That's what's important, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, Meckley had a, um, a question uh, before that I wanted to get to in terms of lighting and, he, and the question is what are your thoughts in terms of light intensity versus whole versus high and, and low nutrients what um what what do you um you know think in terms of that relationship we need to tell all the newbies to go crack open some books and read old articles online or in seascape or seascope or 
or Coral Magazine. We figured out a long time ago that there's almost no such thing as too little light or too much light. It's only too much light for that low water flow or too much light for that low nutrients or too much light for that higher temperature. Of course, you know, your jack-o'-lantern leptoceris is not usually thrilled at four to 500 micromoles full exposed, uh, you know, full spectrum lighting, yeah. um, but it can adapt. I promise you, there's some reef tanks out there where that, that coral is just getting, you know, little little shines of, of just beams of light. But it's we can't have this conversation in a, in a vacuum. There's basically no such thing as too much or too little light without a lot more context. Well, what spectrum is the light? Is it coming from just one direction and focused or is it diffused and coming from all directions? So it's basically hitting all levels of the tissue and the skeleton of the coral. Um, it, you know, we've gotten all really good about flow because us Americans love to overdo it. So once upon a time, we just had a couple squirt guns in the <laughs> tank and put them on an oscillator and just, you know, hope to keep squirting every single coral in the tank. And we're getting better about using mass water movement. Instead of having jets of water, we move all the water. So the days of having too little flow are, you know, kind of behind us. And I think several, a handful of us, a cohort of us are recognizing that our tanks are way too damn clean. And we've been chasing uh, improvements in coral health and vitality through all kinds of foods and additives. And I am I am leading that pack. And I, now I'm like phosphate. I had to dose phosphate. I mean, there's still algae that grows in the tank. There's still algae that yeah. grows in the glass. I don't have algae outbreaks. But um, my reef tanks consume naturally without any phosphate with me still feeding the fish and stuff, um, they will consume 0.1 to 0.2 ppm. They'll give, they'll, they'll consume the phosphate I give them. And I'm writing between a weekly consumption of 0.1 ppm and 0.2 ppm per week. Yeah, it's interesting. I, um, I, I dose phosphate sometimes myself. I mean, I, and I also feed my fish heavily. I mean, I'll feed my fish four times a day, you know, and a whole variety of, um, foods, but, um, it's, it, I tried you know what I ended up with? What? A lot more poop. Oh, yeah. A lot more poop. Clogged mechanical filters. More biofilm everywhere. More detritus inside the rock. Like, I tried, man. I tried to do the uh, logical thing. <laughs> <laughs> feed the corals. Feed the fish more. I tried both. I ended up with a lot of detritus. Um, and my pH went down cause all that detritus, you know, fuels bacteria that have to breathe in order to break it down. And that cost me about, you know, 0.1 of pH. And I'm just like, all right, I've been doing the nitrate thing for about a year and a half. So I started to think like early last year and now I've been doing the phosphate thing for about two months and man, every single rainbow I was chasing, every waterfall <laughs> I was trying to find, it was right there in a bottle of phosphate. So, um, yeah. I've had um, some similar experiences. You know, in terms of the the uh, detritus um, thing you you brought up, I know um, when I had Mike Paletta on, he 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 said something that um, I'm actually doing now myself. He takes a powerhead and blows the um, the rock work with the powerhead. So that's something that I'll do now every other day. And um, you know, I kind of think it helps also in terms of getting that detritus into the water column because uh, you know that's that's coral food, right? So it's um, that right. That really rewinds it to me to like the first couple reefing articles I ever read. And I remember Julian Sprung 
probably fama probably around 1995 ish he talked about you know using a power head to make a storm in your reef tank and that was one of the first kind of tricks that i learned and i never forgot it you know um but i tend to instead of using a power head and blowing stuff around i am now periodically um on certain tanks um i will turn the entire aquarium into a skimmer Right, so I have a very high power uh, air pump, and I have that go leading up to a rigid airline, uh, so so that, you know it doesn't bend backwards. And I have a limestone air, yep. air stone, and I'll just turn that on blast, and that'll go into the power heads. I'll put it under rocks, right? Because the more you blow, like sometimes you're just kind of clogging, um, but with the air, you're literally trapping cyano, detritus, a little bits of everything, and that can percolate through your rocks. Right. So if you actually have modern rock that's dense compared to like right. wild rock, uh, you know, you'd have less of that problem using like Caribsy or Cornerstone. Um, but if you have more wild rock or marker rock with lots of pores, yeah, you can have a great time in your reef tank for a year or two. But then, you know, your month number 25 rolls mm. around and you have no idea how much nutrients have built up. You're like, oh, what's wrong with my reef tank? Everything's fine. I'm not doing anything different. It's like, well, you have uh, you have a debt, <laughs> a debt of detritus <laughs> that is caught up in everything. So you can use a power head. I use um, just because I don't have anything to plug it into right there. And then I'll use a, just a giant baster based around at the same time that I'm doing a, just kind of a, an air storm inside the aquarium. And that just overflows and goes right into a mechanical filter roll, you know, catches all that funk. But it um, doesn't really matter how you do it, yeah. right? You power head or hand or baster or the air or a combination of all of those things that is going to long-term definitely uh, keep you from running into some of these uh, detritus debts. So, you know, that, that was, uh, that was something that, um, you know, I've started to do like in the last um, year or two. And, and it was a change in terms of the way I tend to a reef tank, you know, and, and I, and I did a video of this uh, on, on my channel in terms of some other things that I had changed in terms of my methods over the years in terms of keeping reef tanks. Have, have you um, done anything that kind of stands out in your mind in terms of, the, the, the way you have tended to keeping a reef tank and changing your methods that um, you weren't doing when you first started in the uh, the hobby or at least like the first half of the, uh, you know, years you're in the hobby? I think these days, you know, I'm kind of known as a reef aquarium minimalist. Yeah. Um, I want to assure everybody I've been down every single road, <laughs> every single road of macroalgae, you know, algae turf scrubber, crazy media reactors, um, every plenum, every kind of sand bed, every kind of rock, ozone, UV. Like I've been down all of those paths and I've just really try to strip it down to the fundamentals. And then if you have specific applications where you want your water to be cl more clear or you really export more nutrients with a biomedia reactor, you know, then there's a place for that. So I really stick to the fundamentals. I would say I've had to, you know, I've set up about 12 reef tanks over the last three, almost four yep. years. I have remade every mistake. I have remade every single mistake of just freestyling the, the, the mineral dosing, uh, getting a little too happy with a new trace element supplement, mm. um, you know, over skimming the water. Um, but I would say like by and large, man, I think biomedia is 
the dumbest thing. Bacteria just don't need your help to grow on anything. And on a really long timeline, we won't be using rock for anything other than to hold our corals. This is something, this is like a, an idea of crystallized in my mind uh, when I was in college, like 10 to 12 years ago, I could kind of see the progression. Like on a long enough timeline, everything becomes a pest. We, we yeah. won't be building reef tanks anymore. We will be building coral aquariums and we'll strip away this romantic idea of throw everything in the tank and see what <laughs> sticks. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, I have probably doubled down on, you know, bare bottom yeah. tanks. I love the way they look. I love them in somebody else's tank where I don't have to deal with it. Um, I would just say less and less and less rock and less porous rock because we just talked about getting rid of a bunch of detritus and different techniques for doing it. It doesn't matter how you do it. I think that's that's a really important uh, nuanced thing to do to your aquarium. There's not a discrete time you're like, oh, I should do a storm now, right? You do that two, three, four times a year, I think that's going to be really beneficial. You'd think that would piss off the corals. I, and I let the air just kind of scrub the sides of the corals and take away any kind of little planarian. And over time, like they just, they really just the next day or even a few hours later, they're really great. But I would say over time, man, like, I mean, for me, the biggest fundamental change is uh, dosing the nitrates and the phosphates. I have found the end <laughs> of that nutrient road. And uh, for me, dosing the phosphates and the nitrates is like kind of mind-breaking. Yeah. <laughs> right? Compared to yes. all the training that we had when we were younger. Even if you keep freshwater tanks, it breaks something in your head to be like, okay, I'm on purpose now going to add nitrate. And then a year later, you're like, okay, now I'm literally going to add phosphate to the aquarium. Shout out to uh, Rich Ross for having the foresight to call that out a decade ago i remember i think i was in the crowd when he said that and we giggled and i was like yeah i think you know coming. what uh, you know what rich says is going to be coming uh, in the future five years down the road peeing in the tank uh i've been <laughs> down that road and it's not good it is not good but if you want a cheap for source of phosphate <laughs> phosphorus was actually discovered from human urine so that is a concentrated source. I would argue that that's actually more expensive than buying a pound of monopotassium phosphate for like three or four dollars. There you go. Well, you know, on, on a serious note, in terms of dosing nitrates and phosphates, I started doing that um, five, six years ago, and it took me a long time to kind of get that dialed in. You know, I, I kind of learned some hard lessons doing that, and um, it, it it wasn't something that I was able to pick up very easily and and um you know so the tank kind of suffered in in terms of me figuring out what that butter zone was in terms of the nitrates and the phosphates i one thing i would like to stress to people who are listening or watching about the phosphate or nitrate it doesn't matter what your number is it does not matter if you have zero or 20 ppm of nitrate if you're adding 20 ppm of nitrate and your tank is at zero that's fine it's in the stomach of your corals, right? So don't aim for that number. Just be mindful of how much you're adding. Now, this is very different from mineral balance, right? You can't let that uh, alkaline calcium magnesium like bottom out and be like, yeah. oh, my corals, you know, they have a reserve. Like, no, nah, that's not how that works. But it's it's a different 
metric. You be mindful of how much you're adding. So I know that I'm adding around 0.1 to 0.2 ppm a week, and I no longer care if my phosphates are at zero or 0.1, because I know that right after I add it, it's 0.1, and after four days, it's literally always four days, it is zero parts per billion. Um, so yeah, that's one of those things to, to, uh, to keep in mind. Don't, don't, don't aim for that number. Just, you know, know how much you, you, you're adding to your, you know, another thing that I've done, um, recently that's been different in terms of nutrient control is actually dosing bacteria. And I, and I started dosing bacteria for a couple of different reasons, but one reason was because, um, you know, I was having difficulty keeping uh, Cato alive and uh, I was using a, um, you know, an algae reactor. I was using. Uh, I had. A, I also was using a, a refugium at one point in time. So, um, you know, I I, I started dosing uh, bacteria on both of my tanks, and and um, essentially it, it crashed the uh, the Cato because I was. I, you know, I've been dosing the uh, Brightwell's MB7 as well as the um, Brightwell's Clean, which Clean does um, help. Um, you know control or maybe um diminish the problematic green algaes but um so it, it crashed my cato but the good thing is is that without the cato i've been able to pretty much keep my nitrates and phosphates where i want them to be granted i've got a lot of corals you know in the tanks that are sucking up a lot of nitrates and phosphates but uh you know that is one of the uh, the benefits of um i i think in terms of bacteria dosing is that anything that you've dabbled in in terms of bacteria dosing? i guess you said you've dabbled in everything i have I have been down every <laughs> road, brother. I promise. You know, um, it was actually the lead designer of the Radeon lights who first turned me on to Prodibio. Man, I must be like a dozen mm. years ago. And so Prodibio was my jam. And, um, you know, using the bacterial inoculation, like it makes for a great story, you know, over a long period of time, your bacteria populations, they shift and just add this bottle. This is the bacteria Add this little ampule. This is the food the you know, carbon source and, uh, you know, makes a nice little one, two punch. And I had a great hit of satisfaction every time I did it, I would say I saw more effect in my fish aquarium where, you know, I feed that tank almost as much as all the other tanks combined because um, there's large fish and they eat a lot and I can, right. uh, but you see, you see more need for that natural nitrate reduction or bacterial re reduction in those kind of aquariums. And, you know, I've used it every product over time. I'm a huge fan of like, you're starting up a new yeah. tank, um, freshwater or saltwater fish or reef. Um, I'm not sure there's anything like Brightwell Microbacter Start XLM. Yeah for nitrification, I, you know, because I don't have sand, because I don't have that much rock, because I've been producing these, these storm-like effects in my aquariums, uh, since I started in the aquarium hobby, I, you know, I'm very mindful of any kind of buildup that might happen in my aquarium before it happens, right? So if you do have a lot of waste that you need to be uh, reduced, um, things like Microbacter, Microbacter Clean and Microbacter 7 are going to be treatments. Uh, but for sure, you know, a more holistic thing to do is have reef aquarium practices that prevent you needing those in the first place. And like I said, you know, we, we, we know everybody's reef tank is uh, more individual than people. <laughs> and for sure, you know, there's going to be some um, people who use product X or product Y and Z, and then it's going to have a 
specific uh, impact on their aquarium. So I have played with most of those. The only thing I really keep in my toolbox these days is um, Microbacter Start XLM for cycling. So uh, I thought at one point, and maybe you, you, you uh, I think you mentioned this to me, you decommissioned your Cato as well, right? Yes, sir. So what, what is your primary uh, form of uh, nutrient control at this point in time? Protein skimming? Corals. Yeah. Yep. Corals. I am so excited because I've been hitting a wall of, of mineral, you know, replenishment on my aquariums. Like, you know, uh, let's see, my two peninsula tanks are each getting about, you know, rounding about 200 mLs of calcium alkalinity buffer every day, right? And I'm seeing that salinity increase um, periodically. And I know that if I burn through a ton of additives, doesn't matter how few there are, there are going to be some residual contaminants that will start to increase. You know, I know Chris and I have consulted with some uh, coral farmers who are, you know, are just have huge system and they're just pumping tons and tons and tons of additives instead of going to a calcium reactor. So that's one thing I want to do with those two tanks. But on my largest system, it's about 600 gallons, about a huge amount of coral, lots of surface yeah. area. It gets 20 liters of lime water, Calquaser, every day. It gets 500 mLs of buffer every wow. day. And it gets... 70 liters of calcium reactor effluent every day. And I'm just looking at those numbers. I'm like, I don't really want to turn anything up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the last couple of weeks I've been like really hustling to, you know, get my inner circle of, of locals and friends to come by and take corals <laughs> off my hands. So that has been my primary nutrient export. Although, you know, it's fair to say that uh, some of the automatic filter rolls are, are really starting to, uh, carry their weight in that regard. Uh, I don't use them for nutrient export. I use them to keep all the pumps clean and operating mm -hmm. at peak efficiency so I don't have to clean them so often, right? It's a laziness, you know, roundabout. Um, but yeah, my skimmers rock. I don't have one giant skimmer. I, I, I tend to have uh, fewer more or more numerous medium-sized skimmers instead of having all my eggs in one basket. But if I say, you know, nutrient export, I would say is definitely the corals because I could turn off the protein skimmers, bypass the automatic filter roll, and okay, my 0.1 ppm uh, phosphate reduction uh, might go down, but it won't go down by yeah. that much. So, dude, we have a coral question from Matt Millette, and uh, the question is, and thank you, uh, Matt, for the, uh, for the super chat. Jake, you think a Monty cap and a mushroom can naturally graft and share color proteins? Hmm. Well, mushrooms don't live in aquariums, so you have to be a little bit more specific. Yeah, not exactly. Because we have mush, we have toadstools, which are sarcophytans. We have mushroom corals, which are stony corals. And we have mushroom anemones, which are coralomorphs. So that's three wildly different things. In all of those cases, um, no, I don't think so. Just because we have not seen cross-class uh, protein infection. All the protein infection that we have documented in the aquarium hobby has been between stony corals and mostly SPS corals. I'm not saying it couldn't happen. You know, if you had a super green like disc coral, I would be surprised if you know, something happened, it was macerated, got in the water column, landed on the right coral, you know, slightly denatured. So it's not like stinging anything. Yeah, I could see that happening. But um, the ones that we've been able to document, if you really take it a little bit further, I've been like 99% acroporids, right? Monopora, acropora, 
Anacropora and Astriopora. That's like all the grafted corals. Rob upstate New York. Thank you, man, for the, uh, for the super chat comment is here's to over 200 viewers. Great chat again. Thank you, Rob. Uh, we got Amanda and Chris commenting. Um, Chris is saying they're also dosing uh, nitrates daily. Uh, Amanda saying, preach, Jake, preach. <laughs> hey, one little side note. Um, I don't add nitrate. Oh, it's just potassium, yeah, nitrate. Oh, potassium nitrate. I don't add phosphate. I add monopotassium phosphate, right? So for every ppm of nitrate or phosphate I'm added to the tank, I'm also adding a ppm of potassium. And at the moment, like that is my only input of potassium outside of water changes and what traces might be in my raw fresh water. So let's, uh, let's continue talking about corals, man, because I know this is a topic you'd love to talk about. Um, you mentioned to me a while ago on the, in a DM that you are on a mission to safeguard all the best old school Acropora strains, you know, which have become much more rare versus the thousands and thousands of, you know, hype tenuous that, that uh, we see coming onto the marketplace. Can you, um, can you kind of explain and share what you're uh, doing in terms of that? Well, I, I'm not doing it for the corals. I'm doing it for myself. Like I, I ain't no site. I just want them myself, right? So I'm not like, you know, a, a noble crusade to preserve the corals. This is just what I want. Let me just make yeah. that clear. This is totally for, for personal use. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but yeah, you know, there's a bunch of corals that uh, illustrate how we got here. They're little pieces of history, mm. right? The books I could just put on the shelf. The magazines are over there. I've got my shelf of, you know, antique aquarium uh, devices. But uh, there's a lot of corals. Some of them we'll never know. They'll never have a name. They'll never be a strain name. But, like, there was only one ever, ever one influx or one introduction of Red Sea Pompom Xenia. It doesn't have a name, but it's all the same. There was not another collection of Xenia from the Red Sea, you know, and it's like that coral deserves a lot of respect, like circling the globe, however many times it's been and however many tanks it's basically become the aquarium. Um, yeah, there's just a lot there, you know, for more specifically, um, I think some of the acro stain strains are really, really cool and important. Um, one of my favorite ones that I was able to get my hands on, and this was not through uh, verification or lineage or pedigree is when I saw it, I knew yeah. what it was because I had been looking for so long. It's, um, you know, what's kicked off the limited edition coral hype was, um, Steve Tyree's reef farmers before that it was called dynamic ecomorphology.com. You know, that guy went deep into the the waters of coral ecology you know way above his head in some cases you know i think he copied and pasted some stuff but there were some really really good ideas but so before reef farmers there was dynamic ecomorphology but when reef farmers launched the first the first ever mention of something like limited edition corals was three corals it was a purple mm -hmm. monster it was a green equituberculata cap and it was the the shaggy rainbow stag. Never heard of the last two. And, uh, really, you haven't heard of the branching equituberculata cap, like kind of neon green, just a cap. And if you give it enough light, it starts giving kind of a regular. I've probably branches. seen it. I just uh, don't recognize it by that name. Does it have a? Um... Nope. Nope. Okay. Nope. Uh, sometimes branching cap. 
sometimes branch cap, but I think, you know, the people who know it, they know it as the equity tuberculosis cap. So I actually, in 2019, I collected a random piece of green monopora from Australia that turned out to be that coral, but kind of in reverse. The green equity tuberculosis cap is a cap mostly you give it a ton of light and it starts branching a little bit hmm. the one i have is like branching all the time and then in low light it'll throw it'll throw out some plates right um and then the purple monster almost needs no introduction although that's like an endangered species we should all be able work to score some of that to, to no i have i have a one like piece of the 2015 purple monster that I collected that has been in hibernation for like seven freaking years. <laughs> Granted, I'm not even kidding. Seven years. There's not a single activated tip on that thing. Um, granted, it's only been the last few months I've really started feeding the phosphate. So, um, no, I want some legit purple monster. And I don't want one. I want like seven so I can put one in that tank and that tank and that well, tank. Well, I can probably hook you tank. up with one frag, but I can't hook you up with seven. That's fine. I'll grow my own. I'll grow the rest. <laughs> Um, so the green equitoberculata cup is out there. Uh, the purple monster is out there, but it needs to be preserved as an yeah, endangered species. Um, and then the Paletta's, <laughs> he's been riding me for this piece. Uh, the, uh, the rainbow fuzzy stag that we used to call a Brolo census. And we, you know, for all intents and purposes, we can still call it that, even though that species is no longer recognized. Ah, bummer. But yeah, no, I got this frag and I was like, oh my God, I think that's it. Oh my God, I think that's it. And then it started growing out. I'm like, oh, here we go. So I'm just about the point where one branch turned into four tips. And now I think it's over like six or eight tips. And it's got a, like a long stem, right? So it's just that when do I start fragging it and sharing it? Because, you know, you don't want to interrupt yeah. it in its growth where it is currently. Um, but it's so shaggy. Um, this is a coral that I, I am starting to describe certain acros as a confidence booster, <laughs> right? Yeah. Certain corals you put into your tank and... Millies, they're going to thrive or they're going to suffer. And for most tanks, right? They're going to either do awesome or not be super thrilled. Um, tenuous, probably a little bit more forgiving. But then a lot of those like Australian tables, um, you got to, you know, drive them at 100 miles per hour yeah. to really make that, you know, wild Tierra del Fuego table acro from, you know, Queensland, Great Barrier Reef, uh, Coral Sea. If you're not, you know, blasting it it's just going to turn into whatever and then you know some austeras and some torts haridas um i call those confidence boosters you throw those in any tank and i tell people like just just put this just put this in good light you'll be fine you'll be fine and you'll 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 warm yourself up to that um but so the long long answer short the rainbow shaggy stag um, is one of my absolute favorite. And one that isn't actually rare, but maybe is not really part of the conversation as much as they should be. I call it the rainbow tip stag. But you guys, I'm sure like half you guys listening actually have this coral. Just a light bluish green uh, branch grows really fast, branches really often while still remaining a thin stag. And then it's just kind of kind of this rainbow tip that's, you know, kind of blue, kind of purple with a green tip. I know you've grown it. Um, that one doesn't have a great name because it's been named so many times. It hasn't had its time in the... Uh, of reckoning but god i love that coral. there's um there's one old school coral that i used to grow um it was a stag in in a uh, in an older tank that um i was just in love with and i have not been able to find it i don't know what the name was i don't know if it had a name 
It um, it was like a turquoise stag. It's like the color of an ORA Hawkins, and it was a a, a stag horn. And um, I can't remember where I got it from, but um, you know, I I lost it when I uh, broke down the tank that it was in. Uh, I, I'm just, um, I'm a sucker for like, you know, the older, uh, strains of corals, like, you know, ORA when, when they started like putting out like the red planet, that is like a kick-ass coral because not only is it like a brilliant red, but it's a table and it's got that green, you know, in, in the, uh, in the base of the, uh, the branches and stuff. So, I mean, there's, there's a ton of corals that I say that if this coral dropped today, people would lose their freaking mind. <laughs> Right. But just because they know the name and it's been around forever. And you know what? Most of us have not grown a red planet under LEDs. We have not grown it with modern lighting spectrum conditions. We're used to growing under mount halides. You know what? In some tanks, it probably looked better. But we it's 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 like, uh, you know, just taking uh, your girlfriend to a date a different place. Right. You're going to see her in different lights, going to put on some different dress, <laughs> you know. Um, and so a lot of these corals. And, you know, RA, to their credit and maybe to their detriment, they have not updated the pictures yeah. of their Miami orchid or their, you know, Australian delicate or their purple pillow or, you know. And so, like, every photograph on there is taken under what used to be totally normal, daylight mm-hmm. spectrum. And I'm like, if you haven't taken most of those corals for a turn, you're like, you haven't earned your reefing stripes <laughs> yet. So Mark says uh, the the stag that I'm describing sounds like the Steve Elias stag. I was gonna, I was, I was still on my mind. I was still on my mind. I was just like, you know, that uh, stag you describe. I think it's it reminds me of a stag that is like similar thickness to what I call the rainbow tip. But Sean Bennett had a piece kind of like that, and Steve Elias had a piece like that. So I actually have one piece uh, in the oven, just kind of a small piece. I don't know if that's it because I got a small piece, grew it out, like part of it died back, and I I saw it before it happened. I'm like, we need to frag off those two branches because the rest of the colony is gonna go separated them out and like two days later the colony mm-hmm. went the frag stayed um but i think yeah mark nail on the head like a steve elias stag and once again you know people are putting in a lot of work to building these aquariums which are nothing more than like mini galleries and they're collecting the frags but for us once you get the frag that's when the work really yeah. starts of growing it out and seeing the shape and just seeing how different it looks when it's two inches when it's six inches when it's 18 inches those are that's like a lot of different corals they won't look the same you know for better for worse (laughs) you know but yes i think i think he nailed it with the steve elias yeah um so a couple things hydrospace llc thank you very much for that very generous super chat comment is always an interesting conversation good vibes thanks keith and Amanda Meckley, thank you very much, Amanda, for the super chat. Ask Jake what species he doesn't have in the studio that he must have. I think you might have answered uh, that part. No. Well, uh, no. Great stream, guys. Send Keith some love, people. This is a great one. Jake is in, in heaven talking about coral laugh out loud. <laughs> I want to represent most of the corals that are available through the aquarium hobby. So I don't have any slipper coral. I haven't seen slipper coral. Like, you know, that used to be like a... 1599 you know coral at mom and pop shop every day just a normal ass slipper coral right um i could use a few more tongue corals um i have some sandals so like the fungids are ones that if it's not a cycloceris people aren't really into it so much um i think i got the lithophyllons covered um but definitely a high on my list 
It's a visual uh, visual this aid. One. This this is one right here. This is Paraclavarina. So I think when you and I were talking uh, early last year, I was on the hunt for some Marilenas, and I want to say that viewers and listeners like they helped me find the Marilenas I was looking for. So I got a good spread of Marilenas. Um, yeah, still looking out for a couple of species, but this is Paraclavarina. This is a species of basically Marilena that is only branching. I actually collected this in Australia. It was kind of a brownie piece, and it just kind of sat there and looked at me. And two months later, it was just dead. Like Bomber. there was nothing. But yeah, this thing was like we saw some pieces of this solid pink, bright pink, not fluorescent, total chromoprotein. So this is one like I've actually never seen this in the aquarium hobby. I've never seen this outside of diving, but it's there. And you know why they don't ship this? Because it's spiny, because it's branchy, because it's obviously going to pierce the bag and it's going to be a pain in the butt. And you can't make, you know, a whole order on yeah. these, right? But these are the kind of corals, like, these should be common. <laughs> they should, you know, we should have access to these. You know, and some, um, let's see if I literally look at my shelf over here. Why um, looking, Chris says he's got you a slipper. All right, all right. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. And, you know, thanks to my friends, uh... Uh, I think that was Ken from Hydrospace. Yeah, gave yeah. A shout out. Amanda, Chris, Mark. And I recognize some of the questions, but not the names. Um, but another one, you know, Isopora. That's the super thick, um, what we used to call acros. They don't have like a really defined tips. And what's funny is like some of them are like growing around in the aquarium hobby being sold as monoporas because they won't branch until they get to a certain size. And even then, like they have to have a ton, a ton, a ton of flow. And it's just, it's just fun. You know, um, some cool scores I've had recently and I've, Oh my God, I had to trawl the internet for improperly, uh, labeled corals. Oh. Uh, you know, I found Marilena labeled as platygyra. I found, uh, Leptoria sitting at a re at an aquarium shop just front and center i didn't even ask for a break i was just said can you ship this boom that's my leptoria um <laughs> uh, leptoria is like a, i call it the, like a super maze brain because it looks way cooler than a platygyra which looks cooler than a, a paragony astria um, what else did i find oh tampico coral farms had some pachyceris uh, elephant skin I actually need more because i think the ones he sent me are really delicate species but they just happen to be like gfp infected with like green mm. streaks through them so i'm like you know what boom give me three frags <laughs> <laughs> and then i found uh what did i find i found some cosinaria some nice like pinkish cosinaria with green tentacles just sitting out there on the interwebs chopped up the colony <laughs> i would have bought the colony labeled as leptastria mm. right so that's how i'm finding some of the the newer corals these days is you mislabeled. Know, so totally you're talking mislabeled. about mislabeled. You know, I, I find that uh, with some of the classic stuff too. You know, like uh, Trevor King mentions the ORA Pearlberry is a classic. He doesn't see much anymore. And you know why I think you don't see much anymore? Because it's getting renamed to uh, different things. And so you're, you're not recognizing it because of, because of the name. And, I, you know, I've been on the hunt for the uh, Pearlberry for, for a, a few years. And um, I've the pearl berries it's out, out there, there. It but i keep getting I, ke I keep getting but there's a lot of it's there, there but i keep getting misrepresented pearl berries so uh you know yeah you know, so that that seems to be like a common problem is like you're getting a lot of mis this, mis uh, naming going on everybody thinks they know right everybody everybody's an expert in their field they did a you know half an hour's worth of research they watched half watched two or three YouTube videos. Well, well, they know it all. And, you know, all my reefing friends, Chris and Mark, will tell you, like, even when I really know, I'm still, like, going to bounce 
stuff off of them. I'm pulling out my books, magazines, old articles that I remember to verify what I thought I remembered was 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 the truth. And so the same thing with the old corals, like you got to just trawl. You just got to look and look and look and look and look and look. And the name doesn't really help because no one's keeping up with yeah. the names. And if you look around, you'll find the Milka Stylo out there renamed a, a gazillion yeah. different ways. Or vice versa, you see the uh, incredible Hulk Acropora thrown on 15 different varieties. I'm like, dude, did you even Google that? <laughs> Do you know that Incredible Hulk Acro used to be a thing and it's it was a thing, and now it's like, oh, the the most creative name people can come up with for a green Acropora is like, you know what I'm gonna call this? I'm gonna call this the Hulk. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's pretty original. One. Yeah, uh, something you got a red coral. Oh, what are you gonna name it? You gonna name it Iron Man? Oh man, how'd you come up with that one? <laughs> so uh, Chris reminds me when I was down at uh, ACI this past spring, I, I saw two beautiful uh, colonies that Chris had of the uh, the pearlberry, and um, I think he's uh, saying that they're gonna be be uh, getting frags out there pretty soon. But uh, that's just a gorgeous coral. And another one that uh, somebody brought up was the uh, the PC Rainbow. That um, you know comment was. Confined said that uh, if the PC Rainbow were released today, frags would be hundreds of dollars because it's brilliant-looking coral, Easy. right? I mean, here's the thing, though. We've all seen. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm addressing. I keep looking at my old camera. <laughs> <laughs> I'm addressing all the viewers and listeners right now. Make sure to go to your favorite podcaster and subscribe to Reefbone because now all of these conversations are available in audio format. Just doing his little plug for him. But I want to reach out to everybody. You've all seen a PC rainbow. Like like 90% of people participating in this live stream have seen a PC rainbow, right? Maybe dozens, maybe hundreds. How many times have you seen it glowing? Absolutely flawless, right? And so through reef therapy with Mark, through conversations with you and then your guests, I hope we can move the needle away from pure acquisition. And it's like, okay, now you, we all have seeds of the same pumpkin or the same squash. All right. Who can grow it out the nicest? Who can grow it out the fastest? Who can give us like a, the most attractive, delicious looking pumpkin slash PC rainbow, you know, and a PC rainbow is just, it's one of those things like, yeah, it's super duper common, but dialing in all those colors, super tough. I got, uh, I have a Walt Disney tenuous in like three or four different tanks. It looks mine like retina melting in one of them. Really? In another one, it looks so shaggy, you can't even tell what it is. In another tank, it looks like a washed-out yellow tenuous. Yeah, I have um, I have one. I, I've got a, um, a Walt Disney under halides, and I've got them under um, LEDs. And um, it looks a lot better under the LEDs versus the uh, the halides. And I've got a home wrecker uh, that looks a lot better under the LEDs versus the halides. And again, I'm running a uh, spectrum that mimics my halides. So, uh, you know, go figure in, in terms of the, uh, the difference that you see. But um... one thing that makes me happy and that I've noticed recently is, um, you know, earlier this year I was at Top Shelf Aquatics. They had a tank full of potential tenuous. They were colonies, a tank full. Dude, yeah. There was like 80 of them. And they were like 150 up to 250, whole colony. I promise you that within all these crops, I mean, we're literally talking tens of thousands of colonies of rainbow tenuous are going to be hitting the, the global market, you know, this year and or next year, like just all together. You're going to be able to find amazing colors in all of them. 
you know, you're going to be able to find great colors that are just will will just rival or exceed the Homewrecker or the Walt Disney. And just don't get caught up on the names, on the Looney Tunes or uh, the Angry Birds or just whatever whatever name somebody comes up with. Like, you want some fun? You want some excitement? Buy some of these like potential, you know, untested, uh, mare-cultured colonies of Acupora tenuous because then you can say, you know, hey, you did the work, you did the legwork, and then you can share with your friends, You right? You only spent 150 bucks in the colony. Boom, just bank it with all your friends and make sure it's all around. And if you're a great reefer, you're going to be able to make some of those corals look as good or better than anything that's out there and currently named because guess what? That stuff is discovered in the ocean, <laughs> not in Los Angeles. <laughs> so, uh, Matt Millette, thank you uh, and for the uh, for the super chat. The question, Jake, is your favorite Solomon Island endemic coral? Mm. Oh, I don't think there's such a thing as an endemic coral, actually. All right, how about your favorite Solomon Island coral? Oh, hmm. Again, if we if we erase our memory and we start from scratch, Solomon Islands is a heaven for Tortuosa and Miyagi and 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 um, uh, Gomezi style Acroporus, right? We can trace all those back: Cali Tort, Purple Monster, uh, Organ Tort, Immortal Tort to uh, to Solomon Islands. When you dive Solomon Islands. There's just kind of like a purple blue tort on every wow. single reef. And you you and I are both like really great appreciators of torts. I love their semi-stagging growth. I love how branchy they can get and their highlights, how forgiving they are to pests, parasite, less mm-hmm. than ideal conditions. And uh, man, I got this one austera style tort. That is, it's got like all the colors, but none of them are really popping, right? And I keep pushing it out of the way because <laughs> it's so big. You know, a store came over to visit yesterday. I just clipped him off a giant branch that was like hitting the surface. And it's just like, that's one of those corals that's colorful, hardy, grows at an appreciable rate, whether you're doing th- everything right or not, right? So you got Cali Tor and Oregon Tor in your yeah. tank, right? Those kind yeah. of dominant yeah. colonies. I'm sure you went through some challenges of nutrients. I don't know if you ever had any pests in that tank. Uh, you know, I've always um, I've, I've encountered every pest, uh, you know, in, in the hobby and, um, you know, over the years. Every time the tort is one of the most forgiving. Correct. You. Correct. Yeah, you know. You, you want to date a hot chick? You want to, you know, get yourself some fancy corals? Get yourself some super shallow water Australian acros that, you know, turn on with a certain synchronization on the moon? You know, you want to, uh, you know, get something a little bit more in your league that you're going to enjoy a lot more? Man, torts, they should just be the best coral, right? I've never lost a piece of immortal tort. Cali tort grows a breakneck clip. It's, it's a like great a weed. coral to share with It's folks. like a weed. I wouldn't go with that. I don't know. For far, me, man, it's like mean? a freaking well. And in, in one of my tanks is like a weed. And um, yeah, I'm I'm getting ready to. Uh, I got this gigantic colony that's probably like, at one point it was 80, 18 inches across, and um, mm. so I'm doing a reboot on on my 187 gallon tank, and I've just got this ginormous Cali tort colony, and I've got this ginormous Oregon blue tort uh, colony. I think about that video that you did showing off those mature corals every time because I have like five 
big colonies of um, immortal tort and several large colonies of Cali and organ tort. And I just see yours. I'm like, dude, yeah, this is awesome. Like, just let it grow. Let it just keep growing. You know, so to answer that question, there really aren't any endemic corals. Like, you can go around and find pretty much every corals, but like certain locally, corals will be locally abundant. Um, but yeah, torts like any given reef, shallow, midwater, deeper, you'll see uh, various strains of torts just just killing it thank you larry and nira net if i pronounce that correctly correctly for the uh, for the super chat really uh, appreciate it the reef farmer has a uh, an interesting idea i think it would be really cool to send a one inch frag of the same acro to like 10 different channels slash farmers and then 90 days later you compare growth and color the ultimate coral showdown a little uh, guess what bruce carlson already did yeah. that in the mid 90s it was called the stony coral mm. challenge he would, you would, you would mail him a letter, right? Because this is before email kind of blew up, or maybe call him. I don't remember exactly. He literally had ads, I think, in Fama. I know my boy Mark will remember this. Um, Mark, you got to meet up with Bruce. He's in your neck of the woods. I want to hear more about this. I remember being like 15 years old and seeing that, like, oh my God, he'll send me some acroporas if I just try to grow them. And uh, yeah, no, I am totally down. I am so down for that. It'd be fun, you know, if uh, the the price of entry was 10 frags, right? So if you had 10 frags of something and I had 10 frags of something and Than had 10 frags of something and, you know, we just do that a few times and we all have to put in 10 frags and we all just see, because, you know, if it's just one coral, obviously one person's got to be the winner. But I like the idea of all each getting a turn. Like I probably would supply some deep water acros because my speciosa is kind of doing really well and start giving away to less picky people. Um, Yeah, everybody's going to have a good time. Yeah, but no, that would be great to bring something back like the Stony Coral Challenge that Bruce Carlson championed. Because back in the day, for him, it was just like, can you even grow this coral? Can you even do it? But yeah, I think that'd be a much funner future, a much more exciting aspect of the hobby. You know, say, you know, you, me, Mark, Than, a handful of others. Um, uh, don't want to leave out Devin or Melev. You know, we get on a, on on a something like stream like this once a month, and we just show off our pictures. That'd be awesome. Um, that'd be so much. Yeah, fun. that would be awesome. So we gotta much fun. we gotta get on that. Ed. We got we gotta kind of figure that the the logistics out. Um, so all right, I'm gonna do a little self uh, self serving thing here because Rob upstate New York made a uh, comment. Uh, Reef uh, want a tort frag. I think he's talking about uh, me in terms of the uh, the Cali tort. Seriously, if anybody is near me in Vermont and wants a huge chunk of the Cali tort and a huge chunk of the Oregon blue tort, hit me up, DM me, email me, whatever, because uh, that thing's going down. It's going down in about a week. So uh, there's plenty to go around for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, if you have not grown a California tort, you do not have a single reef aquarium stripe. <laughs> if you can't tell me the different ways that California tort will look under white light versus blue light, man, I don't know what we have to talk about. <laughs> Dave, thank you very much for that very generous uh, super chat. Great stream. Thank you both. Um, I'm just trying to look over some more of these uh, folks. Keep uh, keep putting the uh, the comments and the questions in in the chat. Jake, are you uh, do you have to go anywhere? Or are we uh, we still? Oh no, you know me, man. I'm <laughs> just warming up. Good thing I got an extra beer on me here. You know, I have to. Uh, I, I came prepared tonight, man. I 
I came even more prepared. I'm drinking some pre-made cocktails because if I was drinking beer, I'd have to pee already. Oh, <laughs> I wish you didn't mention that because now I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> you can't break the seal now. No, no, it's not now. gonna. It's not gonna happen. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about coral health. You know, um, every now and then, antibiotics, antibiotics. Yeah, um, let's let's. Uh, I've heard every. Oh, sorry. I'm no, gonna, go I'm ahead. Gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna hijack the yeah, stream go for, for a it. moment. Uh, you know. Um, what's that place called? Aquabiomics. The cor- Aquabiomics. Yeah. Yes. I've heard a lot of talk about that. People talk about it's the future, this and that. And I'm like, it's got a ton of potential, but man, they need to put some work into it. Right. When I that? did my tests, well, when I did my tests and it came back and told me there was no Asterini starfish <sighs> in my aquarium where the bottom is basically <laughs> made up of what we call Asterina <laughs> starfish. I'm like, I get that they're not called Asterinas, but that's your fault. Because you didn't pull down the, the right genetic marker, right? Now we're looking at Acrylonastra. And you know what? It's a little bit uh, lazy to pawn that off into uh, publicly available genetic uh, databases. You know, you really want to fine tune this for the aquarium hobby. You got to make some of those markers yourself or just go verify them somehow, right? Tank full of Asterinas. You're going to tell me there's no Asterinas in there? Like, to me, that everything else that I read was just had a, had an asterisk next to it. I, I had a similar experience the one time I did the uh, the testing. You know, there was uh, some pests in my tank that um, didn't come out on the uh, on the result. I mean, you know, listen, I, I I get it. You know, in terms of you're swabbing certain parts of the tank and and you're taking you know samples of water and I and I guess when you're taking swabs of stuff and you're taking samples of water, there might be certain things that might not be in that sample. So, uh, I mean, listen, it's a, uh, I think it's a, it's a really, really interesting idea. And I think that's information that would be very, very helpful. And, and, um, you know, I don't know enough about it, them to, um, to say that it's, I, I do, I do know about eDNA. I do, I did go to school for marine science, so I have that background and I know that it's the, the it is just, you're, you're, you're barely showing up to the party by, sampling eDNA from aquarium water and then just comparing those against publicly available gen banks right so when my t- this is the thing like i do understand that if i have let's just say one montiport eating nudibranch in 200 gallons of water or one acro eating flatworm in 600 gallons of water it's going to be quite yeah. challenging for an eDNA test to come up with that but it usually won't give you a false positive Right. So that's one of those things you might have to do a couple of times. But when my actual 168 gallon water volume aquarium is like covered with my favorite, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, cleanup crew as Asterinas and just covering everything except the corals. And you tell me that there's none in there. Like, come on, <laughs> you got to do a little bit more work. And I feel the same way about ICP testing. Like there should be they should be sharing their validations like all the time. All the time. We've, we all have that story of sending in two samples of the same company or one sample to two different companies, and everybody's got always got an excuse for why something's I, off. I talked about this on, on another stream, and that is that, um, you know, there, it sort of seems to be like the wild, wild west a little bit, you know, in terms of the uh, the testing uh, services that we have available to us, the, the more in-depth te- testing that... Uh, I, I think Reef Beef touched on this without my exact words, but there is an epidemic of things that won't break your tank. Hmm. 
little nozzles, little additives, extra biomedia, all these things that sound great on paper and they're romantic. They're going to boost your bacteria growth. And here's a little home for your pods, little pod hotel, because otherwise they don't know where they're supposed to live. Or, you know, these esoteric elements or just things that make you feel good about, you know, like when you have a child, you buy all kinds of stupid plastic toys just to kind of make them happy. And if you're a parent of a reef aquarium, it's kind of, you know, you're at the fish store, you find one little food and one little additive and just a couple words on the label kind of catch your eye. You're like, oh, I'm going to add this to my tank and it's going to make it better. Dude, you know how many th- uh, products I have here? <laughs> Every day I just look at them like, nope, nope, not going to do it. Not going to add it. I've done it. I've done it. I've tried it and I've tried it. And there's a few things that I add that really make a difference. And all these other things give me a little bit of a feel good factor, you know, but I have to recognize that when I'm looking at my reef tanks and they're looking really great, the best thing to do is nothing. Yeah, uh, for sure. That The best thing to do is 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 identify what's going right and watch it. Watch it coast because you're not going to ride that peak forever. So what's your protocol? Let's say you have a couple of uh, colonies at RTN or you get some STN that's going on. And um, what, what is kind of like your, your the steps that you would take to help diagnose the issue? I won't. I won't diagnose the issue. I don't know what the issue is. We don't know what the issue is. No one knows what the issue is. We have a ton of theories. We have a ton of hypotheses, and uh, me and a small group of friends are just starting to throw antibiotics at the entire reef aquarium. And to our great delight, a lot of it is working. You know, I was kind of set off on this path by some of the coral farmers who deal with enough corals and higher end LPS corals. They would set up a small hospital tank and um, kind of started with ChemiClean. Um, and man, you'd be, you'd be surprised. And uh, yes, I know, like, we don't know what we're doing. We absolutely are taking shots in the dark as far as like gram positive or negative bacterias or using antibiotics to treat uh, microbes, you know, that aren't Which bacteria hazel? or viruses. Yeah, exactly. Like we don't know, but I tell you what, man, there's a, um, a few different things. Like I have a coral hospital tank now. Right. And it used to be like, if something started going South, we, what do we all do? We just fragged what yes. we could either frag back the bad and hope that it didn't spread or frag out some good and try to salvage that. Right now I take a coral and I throw it in my hospital tank and I nuke it with all kinds of antibiotics. The one I am actually, um, you know, personally, uh, not allowed to disclose yet because it's part of a kind of background research group. Um, but goodness gracious, man, I'll just give it a couple hits of that. And you're like, how did that stop? You know, in my, all my reefing experience, I'm like, that coral is a skeleton in two days or should be a skeleton in two days. And now I'm looking at it. I'm like, how did that not progress, progress at all? Yeah. Like, I, I don't even understand it. And so, you know, Chris feels me on this. We're both kind of, uh, bound, currently um to the originator of these protocols but i mean i I think if you just chemically is is what i started with and um i think julian was doing the baths and then chris was doing the overnight baths because he had too much work to you know just sit there and look after coral for a while and then i started just leaving the corals in the hospital tank (laughs) no water changes no carbon no nothing really low light and you're like how is that coral still alive? And then um, out of necessity, when a coral was like fully encrusted on like a really precious coral or something I've been growing for a really long time was encrusted and it just all of a sudden it starts showing me the signs like, hey, something is hitting this coral. I, I got up to bravery to uh, just treat the entire aquarium with antibiotics. Um, always add a lot of aeration. 
that is super duper duper key not a protein skimmer actual pressurized air that is noisy and annoying and in the way makes salt spray everywhere that and i don't have a lot of detritus because we already covered that and i don't have a sand bed that's storing all the stuff that's going to react with antibiotics oh my god rock man (coughs) it's it's a game changer Absolutely. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, Julian and Chris and I can come up on here when uh, we've been unbound by, uh, you know, this information we've been given. Yeah. But yeah, in the future, instead of adding bacteria, I think we're literally going to be adding uh, antibiotics. You'd, you'd think that would be so shocking to the tank. And I, I, I started so carefully, so carefully and what, nervously. What about um, folks adding bleach? That's that's something. Oh, that's a Bob Stark. That's a Bob Stark. Let him have ESV. <laughs> I would never, ever attempt to do that. But uh, yeah, that's that, he thinks that's like the best thing since sliced bread. I think if you have a tank with a few corals that are super established in the aquarium hobby, you're probably never going to come across any problems. If you are pushing the boundary, getting new strains and lots of different corals all the time, you're bringing in zoanthids and shrooms and euphilias and acros and other assorted stony corals man you are just every one is a vector for something the other coral doesn't like you know i would say probably the most relatable one is going to be torch corals we all know like you can do nothing to your tank leave it alone everything's fine everything's happy thriving one day you look in the tank it's not necessarily brown jelly but you just lost a polyp it's just gone Nothing stung it because it's been growing in that spot forever. We know this and right. So some of these protocols that we're doing is just like almost periodical where it's like, all right, everything looks pretty good. Let me just hit it with a little shake and bake. <laughs> and uh, for me, the only way I can tell that I actually dosed it is you know, whatever small amount of red slime is gone. And then uh, it's, it's not a week. It's not two weeks. It's 10 days for me. 10 days later, all the corals just look 10 to 20% puffier in a, in a very interesting way. I wish there was kind of a more um, naturalistic approach to bolster up the beneficial bacteria and, you know, switch that up. Dude, man, we're talking about 15 to 30 different PhD dissertations <laughs> on the microbial populations of what's living on and inside the coral, right? We ain't got time for that. Right. We're going to start shooting in the dark right. and seeing what happens. Um, do you believe that there's certain corals in, in your systems that act as canary and coal mines? Like, you know, for me, it seems like Montepore are always kind of like an indicator of some sort of larger issue. You know, whether it's um, encrusting Montes or Stylophores, it seems like those corals for me will start acting up before I would see it, you know, in other corals. Do you, do you have a, um, you know, certain types of corals that are indicators of trouble for you mm, there is no simple question answer right now none of these questions have a single answer right um monopore is very responsive to things that happen in your aquarium particularly you can almost use it as a magnesium test mm-hmm. if your magnesium's yeah. too low you're just not gonna have heavy monties um knock on wood i am not having any of these challenges the uh Issues that we face with uh, true euphilia, glabrescens, torch corals, I think that's mostly specific to them, right? So what if they're pissed off? That doesn't mean the whole tank's pissed off. Um, I would say for me a little bit more, you know, I would say gonies. Hmm. I wow. would say gonies because they open up a lot or they don't. 
or they open up a lot on one side or they don't, or they start peeling in one spot, but not the rest. And I feel like they're a little bit more of the canaries. That I'm talking about Goniopora because Alveopora, it looks the same. It's a totally different animal. It is basically an Acroporid as of right now. It's basically a long polyp Monopora. Um, but yeah, I think Goniopora's, they talk to me a little bit more. I would say uh, leather corals, mm. they talk to me a little bit more. I, feel, I see a little bit more feedback just kind of looking at them. You know, um, nutrients bottom out. Uh, I will see it on the sarcophyton and other uh, soft corals, at true soft corals, um, before other things start speaking up. Do, do you think it um, um, makes sense or it's worthwhile to dose bacteria as kind of like a prophylactic to to make sure that you don't run into issues with your tank in terms of RTN and STN? Do you think bacteria dosing could help kind of um, nip that sort of thing in the bud? I am confident that there is some bacteria that you could add to your aquarium that is going to achieve what you're describing. I have zero feedback of whether the additives that are currently available are part of that um, type of bacteria. You know, for me, it's been the opposite. It's been dosing antibiotics to the whole mm. aquarium. I have a hospital tank that I keep saving coral after coral after coral. Um, virtually nothing is not working in my hospital tank with antibiotic treatment. So I am, I'm approaching it from the other angle. And I know that that party might not always last, right? If I keep doing this all the time and exposing the general biology of my aquariums to a certain strains of antibiotics, um, I might get some resistant stuff. And I'm not there yet. Uh, but you know, seeing what I'm seeing now, like this is definitely the route for me. And like I said, uh, you know, we're looking at a, a couple dozen PhD dissertations to try to tease apart. Oh, add this bacteria, specifically this strain of this species, mm. and it's going to push your health in a better direction. I'm having better results going the other direction. Added antibiotics and just hit it with a stick. <laughs> whack, whack, whack. So Amanda is asking, uh, what is the downfall of full tank treatment if you do have sand or rock? If you have an old tank with a ton of detritus and a deep sand bed and just like tons of just biology going on everywhere, I mean, even your sponges, right? You're not talking about the sponge. You're talking about the copepods on the sponge. You're talking about bacteria in the sponge. You're talking about all kinds of – we're just talking about a little sponge, right? And if you have like this deep layered thick biology, if any of those things start not liking it, like say the you know, sponge is fine with the antibiotics and the protists are fine with the antibiotics, but then you have a little bit of bacteria inside the sponge and that starts to die. It starts to consume a little oxygen and then suddenly there's a little, not enough oxygen for the copepods that also live in the sponge and then they start to die and then they consume oxygen because they're rotting on top of the bacteria and then that kills the sponge and then you multiply that across every nook and cranny of your rock and your sump and your overflow box in your sand, you got a tank crash. That's not a good thing. Right? So it's, and thankfully my tanks are just limited biology. I still have tons and tons of stuff and I fight sponges all the time. I don't see any problems, but aeration, you need a stupid, like absurd amount of aeration to feel comfortable about it. I've done it with a little bit of aeration. I've done it with a ton of aeration. I'm telling you, like 
I don't see any problems. No problems. Hit it with ChemiClean, and uh, a lot of problems go away. I don't know, man. I've had that's not that's not going to solve uh, fundamental problems. So if your salinity's out of your whack, or, you know, if you see something precipitated or caused by improper mineral balance, or improper nutrients, or salinity, or high temperature. That's not going to help, right? You have to have all those other things unlock, have have uh, eliminated all those factors before you proceed forward and say, okay, I have a, a, a discrete biological challenge. I, you know, I've, I've used ChemiClean several times, you know, to uh, to help with cyano. And, um, I, you know, I'll be honest with you, it scares the crap out of me because, um, you know, I... I, I just don't know. And, and we, you know, we've talked about this in terms of like having that kind of information in terms of what certain things that you do to your tank, you know, what kind of impact that has on the good guy versus the bad guy bacteria. So that, that unknown scares me, you know, it should, yeah. it should, everyone even uh, entertaining what I'm talking about should approach it very carefully. You got a nano tank, you start there, even if you don't have cyano. Right, and make sure you're doing it right. But I'll tell you what, you know, on my shallow water tanks, I have tons of surface agitation. I turn off the skimmer and I put a stupid amount of pressurized air in one of the compartments, and I sleep like a baby. I don't even, <laughs> I don't even consider looking at the tank the next day. It's like, oh, is it all right? No, because we're always siphoning to try this out, and I never, I don't really treat uh, chemi clean for cyano, except very recently in my makeshift little saltwater pond gotcha um all right a couple more questions uh miguel m and and this is a question i think that was directed at me but i don't have an answer to this so maybe jake you can help out um does reef bum have you noticed coral consuming fluoride i have a couple of frog spawn that seem to react poorly when fluoride is low i was not aware of a coral needing or consuming fluoride do you have any uh, experience with fluoride i have a bottle of fluoride um, I can tell you, I have seen a ton of dope reef tanks uh, we are over 20 something years. I've never seen a reef tank made or broken by it. almost virtually no one should be playing with fluoride. And that goes to me and I have a bottle of it and I play with it for a minute. <laughs> and then I set it down and I'm like, mm, nope, 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 nope. Not until we understand a lot more, a lot more of it. Right. So you can get a lot of these esoteric trace elements, but show me, show me, you know, like I have every color, every color you want and any, every kind of coral you want, right? You know, I'm doing my water changes. I'm assuming there's a little bit of fluoride there. Um, I use a lot of carbon for my water, so it is a little bit raw, but I'm not sure if there's fluoride getting through. Um, yeah, no, no one should be dusting fluoride other than a scientist looking for a very specific outcome. Yeah. It's, it's never been on my radar, you know, and, and, um, I, I don't want, um, I want, um, you know, react in terms of ICP tests, in terms of things are, um, you know, below. Well, ICP can't test for fluoride. Oh, really? Okay. You need a different kind of gotcha. machine. Uh, HPLC, high price liquid chromatography. <laughs> I think that's what you need. ICP won't yeah. do it. So uh, another question, JCS reefing, and, and this is, um, you know, kind of a, a, a popular topic, pH. Jake, what typically do you your tanks uh, run pH at? Um, I know you don't really chase numbers, but curious roughly what they stay at. I, I, I know, I know you talked about this. Uh, you've talked about this before. I started this. Yeah. I started this conversation about yeah. the pH. I, yeah, I told, you know, Chris, he was silly in polite terms. <laughs> <laughs> I told him he was silly as a commercial producer for not really chasing the pH. And in the early days of the studio here, you know, I'm my baseline for everything is already Kalkwasser. 
right? But I am dosing it 24-7 all the oh, time. Oh, you are? And yeah, I don't, I mean, I've always done that. That's how we do it. That's how it's done, right? And, well, that's uh, different than Chris's method. Chris basically is dosing I can, oh, it. Man, I can tell lights you, out. you know, like... Uh, depending on my alkalinity, because, uh, you know, I do have a lot of coral. If, like, one little thing goes out, if my alkalinity drops below, like, say, 7, I can get a range of, like, 7, 9 to 8, 5. Now, I can tell you, when I when I kept it at 8, 3 um, through all the ways, um, there was no difference. There was no difference. You, you know, didn't see um, better growth? Dude, I, my corals are growing out of the water. I'm giving away <laughs> corals just like you. Like, I don't need that crazy growth. If you're a commercial producer where, you know, having an average or a daily of 8.2 is going to be, you know, 10% less coral growth than 8.3. Yeah, man, go chase that 8.3 and keep it flat and keep it going. But I think it's like driving a car really fast. Yeah, you're going to get there faster, but you're more likely to swerve off the road. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This is a really, really important one. Yeah. Like virtually no one who isn't Chris Meckley or Than or Jim Gittner or, uh, you know, Top Shelf Aquatics should be chasing pH, right? Their bottom line depends yeah. on it. Like all other things being equal, your corals will grow fast enough, right? In some ways, like... If you grow your corals that fast, you have to replenish that much more calcium, that much more alkalinity or buffer, that much more trace elements, and then you got to cut up your corals sooner, right? If you're looking at, if you want a nice reef display, maybe you boost it a little bit and you get your corals to where you want them, and then you actually intentionally reduce your pH because you don't want to go hack up your prize masterpiece. You know, any sooner than you have to. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I, I keep my pH, you know, for both tanks in the 8.3 to 8.5 range. And, uh, you know, I get really, really good growth. But it's it's uh, it's a blessing and it's a curse because, like you said, you uh, you have to do a lot more pruning, you know, when you kind of get that rapid yeah, growth. There's, here's the thing. Um I'm not. I don't want to plug too much, but Mark and I had an awesome conversation about coral coloration. Yeah, I saw that. And basically, we just swerved and said, "Screw coral coloration. It's coral health. You don't get colorful corals without healthy corals." I can tell you that, you know, down to a certain level, pH does not really affect coral health. It affects coral growth. But you can't show me a coral exposed to, you know, very acidic water. And I can tell you, like, I can tell you, oh, yeah, that coral's been grown in acidified water, right? It's hard to see that. It doesn't really affect coral health. It's literally just tempo. It's just speed. For sure, you know, some fast-growing SPS corals are going to look better when they have faster growth and more tips. But like I said, the, the trade-off, unless you're a uh, commercial coral producer – um, I don't even, I don't even care anymore. <laughs> I, I, I went there and I was so stoked to hit eight, five for a long time, but I, because I have to dose so much calcwasser, I'm like, I, you know, I have to replenish my calcwasser once a month. Yeah. I'm, I'm going through calcwasser like it's nobody's business. I've got two 30 gallon drums of calcwasser for each of my systems. Each of my systems are like, um, 350 to 400 gallons. And, um, I'm going through like a 30 gallon drum in like a couple of weeks, you know? So it's like the primary method for me is, uh, you know, cockwasser. And then the uh, calcium reactors are like just kind of kicking on whenever, uh, you know, they, they're needed. But um, it's, um, 
you know, it's, listen, Kalkwasser is an old tried and true method, right? It's, it's the first method. It's the, the, the founding method. Mm. That's why for me, it's not the only way I do things. Right. So I have five Kalkwasser reactors. Um, they're all being automatically fed by Ecotech Marine versus that have been running nonstop since late 2019. Yes, we have to change out the tubing. I have an airstone in the feed reservoir to drive out the CO2 that's just locked in our, our tap water. That was a fun <laughs> trick to figure out what was wrong with there. Because when I was f- filling them up manually, right, it was splashing all that out. And then when I put it to auto, I was just like, man, what's happening in my calc reactors? They're all getting stuck. And then I checked the pH before and after just putting an air stone in it. And it was like, oh, holy crap, I got a uh, you know, 0.5 range of pH in my reservoir feeding the calc reactors with and without air stones. So now I have a dedicated air pump to degas the water that's feeding them. Um, but yeah, just nonstop dripping, 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 dripping. One thing I do love about calc reactors, uh, they don't break. They slow down, they clog up, they drip a little bit less, but you know, yeah, they have to be really ignored to like completely break. And I was talking to another reefer not too long ago who was local to me, who was dosing 200 mLs of calc. I'm like, dude, you might as well spit in the tank <laughs> after chewing a Tums. You'll have more effect, right? Chew a Tums, spit in the tank. That's more effect than 200 mLs. Like, don't be shy. Like, lime water is a pH of 12.4, but it just is not like adding an additive. It's literally very watery lime water, right? So you can actually add, as long as it's gradual and constant, you can add a lot of Kalkwasser, you know, easily, uh, you know, easily a liter per per hundred gallons per day, like depending on where yeah. you're at. That's what you, that's kind of that's a founding, that's a starting. You know, my 600 gallon system gets 20 liters per day. Wow. Um, all right, a couple of reef builder. Um studio questions here uh I, I can't remember who asked this question be um way back earlier in the uh, the stream but uh if if somebody's um visiting uh, colorado can they get a uh, tour of the studio um i take that one on a case yeah. by case just because on any given day you know like i might just be twiddling my thumbs and just enjoying how the corals look and i want to have some visitors and other times we're just like swamped and like you know, three videos yeah. on the docket for the next yep. few days. So like, I really have to take those, um, as they come, um, for the locals, I do uh, kind of have an open house. Cool. <laughs> I've had it once or twice <laughs> ever. And then for the local professionals, we also have like a local Facebook group, uh, Colorado Aquarium professionals. And, uh, we've had like one or two meetings here, but I'm trying to find that balance between, uh, never and always, <laughs> you know what I mean? Chris Hansen's, uh, yeah, wondering if, uh, he can, uh, potentially get his hands on one of those uh, immortal tort uh, frags. Um, you know, the best the best place to get some immortal tort is tell your store to place an order with ACI because he is farming them, you know, pest free. And for me, man, if you're if you're standing right next to me and we're having a drink, boom, here you go, have it. Like I don't care. Like that's that's not what I'm here. I'm, I'm not here to sell corals. But he, you know, that's what he does. He grows the corals. He farms the corals. So if you want a, you know, a well-processed, vetted-out piece of a motor tort, tell your store to place an order with ACI. It doesn't have to be that much, right? A few hundred dollars will give you several dozen frags, not just of a mortal tort. That's probably the best way. Um, I did drop off um, like seven, 
seven immortal torts at aquatic heart in highlands ranch colorado and i feel like in the long term more to satisfy people because if i was them i would want some these corals that i see and hear stories about i'd want them to be readily available so i'm thinking i'll just periodically just send a whole box of stuff to top shelf aquatics and then they can ship it out right because you ship out corals and it's it's not about the money it's just about the time and like when when my corals are in the mail, man, I am like nervous. It is it Every is it is nerve time, it is like nerve wracking, and um, the the uh, the overnight uh, you know shippers are are uh, dropping more balls these days from what I'm finding. It's it doesn't matter who you go yeah. with. It doesn't matter you know unless you send a, a personal armed <laughs> guard to whatever location. It's just you never know when it's going to happen. So for me, it's just a little bit easier and uh, less stressful to just Hand them let me send one big yeah. box to some other retailer and you know i won't the price will be just whatever <laughs> it'll be a whatever price they will never have a like a bling bling price right i want my personal girls to be in as many hands as possible like that's the fun part and going to see other people's like i remember uh, back in the day, you know, there's a few communities that I moved to and I had the most corals at the time and I, I shared my zoanthids and my first green cap. I mean, to, to rewind the clock to when a cap was hard to find any cap, right? I had a green, like an olive green cap and I had like a blue, bluish polyp, like basically doo-doo brown cap. And I would go to, to, to all these tours locally and they'd be like, oh, there's my zoanthids and there's my cap. And, um, I know there's, so, you know, I know Mark, he introduced a uh, green slimer to a bunch of places. I love the green slimer. We, we have these stories. It like too that. quick. Unorthodox. The true, the true green, green slimer. Yeah. There's several green staghorns that people are calling green slimer that aren't green slimer. They're green, they're slimy, they're staghorns, but that's another thing. If a, if a store is not paying attention and they have a green stag that they're calling green slimer and it's not like the whitish tip version, I'm like, oh, Not, not the uh, the real deal. Uh, Dude, 10 to 15 years ago, everyone would laugh at you. <laughs> <laughs> everyone like, what's wrong with this guy? Does he not know what a green slimer is? Uh, one of the awesome old school corals. Uh, Unorthodox Reap, thank you so much for the super chat comment. Thanks for an amazing chat. Great content as always. All right, man. So um, I got a bizarre story for you. And I swear to God, there's a question at the end of this story for you, Jake. Um, so this past weekend, you know, so I'm, I'm redoing my 187-gallon tank. I'm just moving a lot of corals out of the tank. And you know uh, Randy Donowitz? Absolutely. So I promised Randy a whole bunch of uh, zoanthids. From this tank because i just want <clears throat> to i want to move out the zoanthids i want to get rid of all the zoanthids so i was um going into new york city my wife was already down in the uh, in the city visiting her uh mom so i was going down into the city to meet her with my uh with my daughter so i i packed up a big box of zoanthids right and uh you know i said basically to ran i gave him the address i was like i'm gonna leave this box with the doorman at the building and, you know, it'll be there by 4 o'clock. This was last Friday. So all you have to do is go to this uh, building, and I'll write your name on the box, pick it up, and you got a whole, you know, shitload of zoanthids for your, uh, for your tank. So I get into the city, <clears throat> and, and uh, we pull up to the, uh, to the building, and we start offloading the car. We had a couple of, uh, you know, bags and cooler with some beer, and, um, and plus the box of corals. So the doorman came out and he was grabbing stuff and I gave him this box and I said, this box is going to be picked up by somebody later, you know, and I had the name Randy written on it. Well, <clears throat> so uh, I gave him the box 
and I went to the parking garage to park the car, right? And 20 minutes later, I walked back into the apartment building. These guys like, oh yeah, it was picked up. I was like, okay, great. So um, we we had dinner, and about 7:30, I get a, uh, I think it was a DM from Randy. Hey, I'm here, but the box, there's no box of corals. I'm like, what? So I go downstairs and uh, to, to see what happened. And, and the, uh, you know, we're asking the doorman, what happened to the box? He's like, yeah, I gave the box to the UPS guy. I was like, what? You gave the, this is a box I received some fish, you know, earlier that week from a, um, a vendor out in California. And it was sent to me via, you know, a UPS overnight. I didn't realize that, but the box still had the UPS label on it for my address in Vermont. And um, so the doorman didn't really listen to me. And so when the UPS guy came in to make his general rounds, he picked up this box. He, he handed the UPS guy the box and it still had the old shipping label. Somehow this box got back into the UPS ecosystem and was being shipped back to me. And it was not going to arrive until Monday. I didn't even know that that thing was remotely possible that you could have an old label for a UPS box that could potentially get back into the, the, the shipping channels and be delivered to you uh, a few days later. I don't know if the vendor that sent me the box got charged again for this thing, but this was like a completely bizarre, completely out of the realm of reality probably one of the most bizarre reef keeping stories you know in the nearly 30 years i've been in the hobby so my question to you is what kind of bizarre reef keeping story stands out in your mind given all the years you've been in the hobby i mean is there anything that just stands out as just being completely silly and um almost um impossible in terms of the the outcome is there anything that kind of bubbles up in your head I would have to say I have been flabbergasted by the disappearance or reappearance of some anemones. So I had a really beautiful like red malu anemone with green tentacles, you know, kind of a fleshy style anemone that uh, I was rejiggering some of the baskets that were on the side of the tank. And I think I, you know, set one down and, you know, I knew that it could get away from me and get, you know, caught up in a power head or something, but it like a carpet, it's not, that's fat and thick and, you know, meaty. It's not just going to sucked it into a power head. And so that one, I had one that just like completely disappeared. And I'm like, dude, there's no way. Like I was thinking to myself, what corals did I give away? It was a, basically what is on the base of that coral that it just, there was a, did I not see it? But I, I know several of us have seen uh, bubble tips somehow on a part of our sump where it must have gone through some gear. Really? <laughs> right, go through a pre-filter and then bio balls and then, you know, other devices. And you're like, how the freak did you end up where you're at right now? Um, more recently, I would say I have I have some Nexus Burst, Chicago Sunburst, Colorado Sunburst. And I have, you know, multiple baskets. I think that the, the Nexus Burst and the Shy Burst are all together in their own little system. So they can't get away from me. But before that... I had a Nexus Burst sitting 
inside. So if you don't know the Nexus Burst, they're like kind of half green, half orange. So kind of the infected, grafted kind of deal. And it was just sitting there, you know, inside of a nice little basket. And uh, I swear to God, I was talking to Jim Gittner of Eye Catching Corals, who uh, propagated this anemone and mostly was responsible for introducing it into the aquarium hobby. Really cool anemone. Such a cool one, right? Imagine just like all jade green with like a few orange tentacles or half orange, half green. Just a really cool animal. And so we were talking on the phone. He's like, hey, is your split? Yeah, I was like, ah, no, you know, it's just kind of sitting there looking at me, whatever. And then uh, it was literally like the next day, I'm looking at the Nexus Burst, and I'm like, huh, you look a little different today. And then I look over to the side. So it was sitting inside of a basket that was inside of another basket. Really? Right? And so the first basket wasn't up to the surface. The second basket was up to the surface. So um, I don't remember exactly how I deduced this, but... There was one anemone back, like right where it started, and there was another anemone outside of it. And I remember seeing that the center anemone had left. And so this anemone left the center basket. It could crawl out because it wasn't to the surface. It didn't have to go through holes or anything. Then it crawled through the holes of the second basket. It split. And then one of them remembered where it lived because it crawled <laughs> through the basket really? again and then back into the small basket like it never freaking left. And I was just like, oh, come on now. <laughs> did you have a map? Do you, did, you, did you remember where you lived? Like, how is that possible? You left, you went through two baskets, split, and then went through two more baskets. One half of you stayed outside. The other half remembered where you liked to, to live and grow. That's that's that amazing. Was, that was one of the weirdest ones. I'm like, all righty, okay then. <laughs> I see you. I <laughs> I see you throw me some. I, I had a um, kind of a similar story. I mean, the animals on our aquariums are amazing, and um, I had this um, yellow tang in my 187 gallon tank. I had a you know, in this tank I put in a purple tang, a yellow tang, and a sailfin tang at the same time. Well, a couple years after that, everything everything was hunky dory, but all of a sudden the purple tang just like decided like you know what. I do not like this yellow tang they and I'm going to like beat the crap out of you every time I see you. And, um, pretty much, um, relegated the yellow tang to inside the rock work. And it, um, I didn't, Oh, I know this. Story. Yeah. I told yeah. this story on, the, on a, uh, on a, on a YouTube video and, um, we need more stories like it, that. It was an amazing story because this, this yellow tang just hid for like eight months. I thought it was dead. I thought it was gone, but then, you know, um, it started to kind of like peek through the rock work and just zip out and grab a piece of food and zip out and grab a piece of food. But it was completely white. It was completely emaciated. And um, I was feeding the tank, you know, some nori. And um, it, so it, it, it came out when I was feeding, you know, the nori. I, I stick my hand in the tank and it got really close to my fingers, you know, when I was feeding the nori. And I was like, wow, I, I wonder if like, uh, you know, I could try to like catch this thing with a net or something. And so, um, I was doing that again and the thing like came right inside of my hand, you know, and just, I was cupping the, the, the yellow tank and I just was able to like pick it right up out of the tank and transfer it into a, uh, another room into one of the, uh, the frag tanks. It was like a cry for help, you know, it was like, help me, save me. And, um, it did not struggle. It did not flap when I, you know, put it, um, you know, had it in my hand. It was just an amazing story. And, and, uh, knock on wood, that thing is, uh, is 
doing really well and just uh, very healthy and eating like a pig that's got a friend, a I, fox face. I love that story when you shared it on video, and we need to share more stories like that. You know, like the uh, anecdote of your zoanthids being shipped back to you and, you know, of my anemones kind of remembering where it grew. Those are bizarre, but, man, when you, when you as an experienced aquarist, Except for the zoanthids and certain strains of zinnia, like I think every coral growing is a miracle. Yeah. Like I, I still am just, I still have that uh, that boyhood wonder of like, how is this possible? Like, am I are these living crystals? I've always thought of acros as kind of like living crystals. It's just, yeah, it's just kind of freaking crazy that we can actually do this and that we're getting better, and we've gotten a lot better to the point where like. You know, some one person's uh, you know, green slammer as a pest as somebody else's like brand new bright green staghorn. So, you know, uh, I think it's a good, good time to wind it down of just like I want everybody who's listening or watching to just know like just, you know, like take your extra sketch and shake it. Right. Just just start over with your tank every time you look at it and just think of how cool it is that whatever you have that's growing, that's doing well, that's a miracle right there. That's freaking magical. You know, OK, we've been keeping fish for a long time, except for the breeding fish. But like the growing of the corals, like, you know, don't, don't, don't get worried about you know, keeping your pH super high or having the latest and greatest LED light because your old light won't work well. The new generation just means you can get a smaller light and use less power um, at the end of the day. But just re-examine your, your corals and your equipment, you know, magnetically coupled water pumps, you know, controllable LED lights, you know, crazy protein skimmers. Like we have such a good time in the aquarium hobby and, you know, content creators like yourself and me just, uh, and many, many, many others are just helping tell the, the stories like, like your yellow tang of just these really intimate moments that we have. But if you look really closely, I think you can find a lot more stories like that. Everyone can yeah. find those kinds of stories within their aquariums. Well, on that note, dude, I think we're going to uh, we'll, we'll put a wrap on this. So I want to thank you, man, very much for uh, for coming on again and chatting. I really uh, enjoy these chats, uh, Jake, and I thank everybody um, in the uh, in the chat and I'm watching on on uh, at home in the stream is um, enjoying it as well and hopefully got a lot out of it. I think um, there was a lot of great information that we talked about. Um, folks, be sure to um, you know check out ReefBuilders.com and ReefBuilders on YouTube as well as. Um, Instagram and reef therapy. We talked any way you want, any way you want. <laughs> and you know what? If you're in Australia right now or anywhere near, you know, in like two months or so, we're going to have reef stock in Sydney for the first time oh, wow. in like almost three years. I think it's been since we had it. It was 2019. Oh my God. Yeah. We didn't have it in 2020. So 2019, we're coming back and it's just really fun. Um, you know, it's, we, we, we try to reach the reef aquarium community every way we can, you know, Instagram, YouTube, podcast, articles, real life, sharing with, uh, you know, folks like, uh, like Keith, uh, this is what makes the hobby fun and, and really informative yeah. and crack open some older books. You'd be surprised yes. and amazed what you'll yeah. find. Excellent. Excellent advice. So, um, thanks Jake, man. I really appreciate it. I also want to thank, um, Ecotech and bulk reef supply for, for being the sponsors of this, uh, live stream. And thanks to all you folks that tuned in and especially the, uh, the super chats really appreciate that. And, uh, finally a big thank you to Paul, our moderator. 
I also want to let you know that all episodes of Rapping with Reef Bum are available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. My next live stream will be next Thursday, May 26th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Greg Carroll. Should be another uh, great episode with Greg. You can check out the full upcoming schedule of guests on reefbum.com under the YouTube section. We've got some, some guests, Jake, that uh, you recommended that are uh, coming up. So uh, looking forward to, uh, to that. But, folks, until then, uh, be safe, be well, and we will see you next time. Thanks, everyone.